And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when almost anything can happen, and tonight it surely will. Welcome, everyone. Um, When I used to do Coast a lot, uh, there would be these archivists and Twitter people and chroniclers and all that that would cite a particular show that Art and I did or George and I did, and they would call them a classic, you know, Coast show. Never quite understood, you know, because Coast has covered a huge swath of subjects over the years, as we have tried to do to a somewhat lesser extent in the uh, years that we've been on the air. Well, if they talk about classic Coast, this is going to be classic the other side of midnight because we have one the only thing left now is the shouting and there's going to be a lot of shouting at least i think so um what happened this week which technically happened on um wednesday which was the last day of may preluding into the first day of june is that a panel convened by the NASA administrator, former Senator Bill Nelson, who I must say, as I uh, talked about his uh, uh, you know, uh, appointment by the president two years ago, I felt in my bones that this was a very important, perhaps a key presidential appointment, because Bill Nelson is now going to be the point person where all things extraterrestrial come together where they cross and the um, proof of that is what happened on uh, Wednesday afternoon in the uh, second two hours of a full four hour briefing of the general public of NASA scientists of the world press etc etc on recommendations from this UAP study panel to the administrator for enactment in NASA for how to proceed, how to go forth with study of UAP. Now, initially, when this, uh, you know, uh, subjective replacement for UFOs was introduced, we were told it stood for unidentified aerial phenomenon, kind of harking back to the 40s and 50s when, you know, everybody was looking up and they didn't have a damn clue as to what was going on particularly the Air Force, the White House, the CIA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they uh, came to the conclusion that, uh, well, we, we know from the documentation that they decided back then uh, in various iterations of the Air Force studies, Grudge, Blue Book, you know, there were so many names, so many change of hats that, you know, it was pretty early figured out that we were under surveillance by somebody not from this world. And the rest of the uh, 70 plus years has been spent in trying to cover up that reality by every means possible. Cover up, cover up, cover up, lie, this, you know, uh, d- distraction, disassociation, anything to make people think that they were silly, that they were crazy, that they were the ones who were Looney Tunes and not the stupid excuses coming out of the you know, U.S. federal government, I think Steve Bassett, and we're now trying to connect with Stephen, uh, apparently we're having a bit of a problem, 
gosh, is that a surprise on a night like tonight? Anyway, Stephen Bassett has said all along that the real crux of the transition of what we talk about, what we deal in, what we research, what I've spent, you know, almost 40 years of my life doing really comes down to the political winds in Washington. Without a change in those politics, without a an open appreciation of the wonder and mystery and majesty of what's been going on around us for at least the last 70 years, and I would argue for many orders of magnitude older than that, we, modern 21st century civilization, will never get to the bottom of this conundrum. Are we being visited? Who are they? How long have we been involved with them? And what happens from here on? Obviously, we only have three hours tonight. So this is the beginning of a multi-part conversation where I'm going to try to bring in other voices. And some of those uh, may surprise you over the coming weeks. Some of them have tales or stories or perspectives or analyses that may rankle some people, that may go against the grain. But it's time. Remember, I've always said, once we have passed the threshold of proving that this phenomenon is real, the real war, the real contest, the real contretemp between various factions is all going to come down to what does it mean? Example, it is a stunningly different paradigm. Uh, hint, Stephen, good name for your institution. It's a stunningly different paradigm from aliens randomly finding Earth one day and walking up on the planet and trying to decide, a la some version of the prime directive, how do they interact with the strange, incomprehensible, totally illogical beings who occupy this place that the inhabitants call Earth? That's one scenario. Real explorers, real aliens, God, maybe even pirates kind of trip over us and then history takes a change when they introduce themselves or they try to take control or we wind up in an interplanetary war or whatever those wild scenarios used to be. That's item number one. That's kind of like the mainstream model, even now into the Pentagon's, you know, all domain anomaly off. Love that name. We'll get to that in a minute. Because it's easier to pretend this is all brand new. Like, oh my God, look at that. I didn't know that was going on. And most people, if it's properly presented with the weight of media and a lot of money and a lot of talking heads and people that don't know any history and are too busy to pay attention or too distracted or too deliberately manipulated, they'll just go along. Some of us, of course, know that the history of this field, contact of humans on Earth with extraterrestrial intelligence, is anything but simple or trivial, nor can, despite the best efforts, will it remain stuffed into a bottle without the real history suddenly spilling out all over the floor, waiting for one word which has now been Issued. Remember that scene in uh, the, the, one of the Star Trek movies, I think it was uh, Search for Spock, where um, uh, the cadet asks 
Scotty, has the word been given? And Scotty answers, you know, the word has been given. Well, from Washington this week, the word has out of the mouth of Dr. David Grinspoon, who was a really interesting guy, quite bright, uh, fingers in every, almost every NASA mission, a professional astrobiologist, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they obviously drew lots. And David got the short straw where he sat there on Wednesday afternoon and quietly announced that the time has come for looking for, I'm paraphrasing, for extraterrestrial artifacts across the solar system is scientifically plausible. The word has been given. Now, this panel, this four-hour panel, you know, a few days ago, it's kind of like, you know, a Broadway show where they open it in New Haven to kind of see how the critics, you know, treat it and the audiences and the gate and all that. Well, this is kind of like an out-of-town tryout, even though it was in Washington, because the, the, the formal study, the formal report from the uh, NASA UAP study group to the administrator of NASA, Bill Nelson, is not going to come out until the end of July. In fact, I've heard whispers this is going to be on July 20th or 21st, which, of course, would put it right in the realm of the anniversary of Apollo 11, humankind's first modern landing on. Um, for those of you who are new to the show, and I know a lot of you heard me pop in briefly uh, on Coast the other night, surprising the heck out of uh, Mark Carlotta, who I'm sure never imagined that Hoagland would drop in by parachute <laughs> in his, his uh, two hours. Uh, it wasn't my idea. It was George's who wrote me an email and said, hey, you know, send Tom your phone number. They don't have it on file. Um, we'll pop you in at the top of the second hour. So we did that. And Mark and I had a very brief conversation. I had really hoped that he'd be able to join us tonight, but there was, wasn't enough time. So obviously he's one of those other voices that we're going to, uh, uh, you know, have on the show. As we move through this process, which is intensely political. But what happened on that Wednesday afternoon? Grinspoon with his recommendation, and of course you know that that whole two hours was scripted. Nobody said something that isn't going to be adopted in the final report. So Grinspoon saying it's time now to look for alien artifacts in the solar system, you can take that to the bank. In fact, Robert just got back from the bank. Because that's going to be the policy now of NASA moving forward into this era of real disclosure. Um, So if you're new to the show and you come across from coast and you want to kind of see what we're doing tonight, we have something called Radio with Pictures, which is a section of the website where we put posts from various listeners and guests and myself so that when you listen to the archive in Club 19.5, you'll be able to reconstruct the live show and you'll be able to linger and pause and look at the details in these links or images or what else. Not during the live show, probably too confusing, but definitely afterwards. Uh, that behooves a lot of people to take a second look, you know, take a deep breath and kind of ponder the interrelationship of the evidence that we attempt to present. So what you do is you go to the other side of midnight.com, click on that banner tonight, 
which says somewhat melodramatically, you know, I couldn't resist, okay? It says very dramatically, unidentified anomalous phenomenon, NASA study group, first report. And then under the panel, sitting there looking like, you know, Bambi in the headlights, major breakthrough. And I do not overstate, it is a major Probably, I would say, the most pivotal breakthrough, and here's why. Because with this statement, which is a precursor of the final recommendations to the administrator, two main things came out of this panel on Wednesday. One was NASA should establish an ongoing continuity of research into UAP. Can't do it with a panel. Can't do it with a $100,000 study. It's got to become part of NASA culture. It's got to become natural as breathing. It's got to, you know, draw upon all of the really far-flung assets of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. I can think of a recent photograph from Webb, which I really wish they would go back and look at closely because it was supposed to be a picture of Jupiter, but in front of Jupiter, by about a half billion miles, within sighting distance of Webb, there in its distant million-mile orbit, you see a whole bunch of weird things and something that looks like a some kind of spacecraft or manufactured habitat or something breaking apart. That photograph, that sequence, needs to be researched top to bottom because NASA put out the, the images and said nothing about the content of what was on that set of Jovian web engineering images. Um, something amusing happened during the four hours of NASA. So what you want to do um, to find it is you want to uh, click on the, tonight's banner. That will take you to the guest page. Under the guest page, you'll see uh, big yellow letters to listen to the show. Under that, it says guest page. Under that, it says fast links to items. When you want to find the section of Radio with Pictures that a particular guest or speaker is referring to, you simply click on their name where it says fast links to items and it takes you right there. So my item number one is a space.com very interesting overview of the four-hour UAP NASA press conference, including, and this is really important, a full four-hour video of the entire briefing, all four hours. Now, Mark and I were kind of having fun with each other uh, the other night when I popped in on George, where I said, well, those are four hours I'll never get back. And Carlotto, to my kind of bewilderment, said, oh, yeah, those are four hours I'll never get back, and I'm really not very encouraged, or something like that. And I'm listening, and I'm thinking, what? I have a very different political read on where we are. This is, this is uh, steamboat time, as Mark Twain is reputed to have said, you know, when steamboat time, you steam. It's time for NASA to do what, what uh, Grinspoon quietly announced in that second two hours, which is that one of the key recommendations of the panel is going to be, A, establish a permanent office for looking at UAP. By the way, the name change in the latest legislation coming from Rubio and uh, the senator from New York, whose name escapes me, um, is very important because it got changed from unidentified aerial phenomena to 
unidentified anomalous phenomena. And a lot of that afternoon, second hour was spent trying to figure out how the hell do you find anomalous? There's some really interesting exchanges which give a kind of a CAT scan into the thinking of the panel, which is kind of in microcosm, the thinking of academia in general about this up till now very bizarre subject to most mainstream scientists, no matter what their discipline. So what you want to do is click on that item number one, and then in your copious, copious, copious spare time, listen to the whole four damn hours and the video down about the middle of the page. Instead of having it distilled by a reporter, you get to hear and do your own nuanced analysis, and you will see all kinds of interesting positive affirmations for where this trend curve is going. And it's going somewhere very, very fast. And it appears to be going in the direction that a lot of us for many, many decades, that's right, not just years, decades, have been trying to push NASA into venturing into. Well, it looks like we've we've succeeded because it's like being, you know, there's no such thing as being a little bit pregnant. You either are or you aren't. NASA is now pregnant because um, he is, they are committing to using all the modern tools of computer science and technology. And I'm going to mention the magic word, but we're going to talk about it when I bring on the panel. AI, the new buzzword of everybody all over the planet, certainly in NASA, because that is the political um, excuse, as I will explain in great detail later in the show this morning, for how NASA is going to get themselves off an otherwise almost impossible hook having to do with all of this. So without further ado, um, let me introduce, and this is not going to be in order because Stephen Bassett, as is is at the conference in, uh, um, I believe it's Southern California, I think it's contact in the desert, and he is making his way to his room, and he says he should be on Skype in about seven minutes. So I'll tell you what, let me, let me turn to Robert first. Robert uh, uh, Morningstar is our resident um, civilian intelligence analyst, an investigative journalist, and a psychotherapist living currently in New York City. I'm going to give very abbreviated bios for everybody tonight because the main thing is to find out what they think and where we are. And if you really want the details of all the amazing things they have done, uh, you go to the bio section of the other side of midnight uh, under the guest page under radio with pictures and you will find it there. So without further ado, Robert, let me turn to you. What did you think of NASA's four hour tour de force? Well, I think it's basically damage control over the 75 years of lies, deception, and murder that has been applied to keep the UFO subject secret, the alien presence out of human consciousness, and that uh, it's an admirable effort to try to regain authority over this forbidden subject. The whole reason for the existence of the CIA and the National Security Act of 1947 is that they had to bring in a new bureaucracy to oversee 
the the secret. And during those 75, 76 years now, this bureaucracy has fanned out like an octopus. And I think it's become a threat, not just to the U.S. government, the official U.S. government, but to the whole world itself. So I see this as an attempt by the Congress and the Senate specifically to try to reassert its authority, its constitutional authority, and to regain oversight over the most important topic of the last uh, 100 years because they've been here for 100 years. So that's I, I think they've been here a hell of a lot longer than that. Oh, yeah. Robert. Well, overtly interacting with what we call world governments. Yes, there were secret societies that have been in contact with, with them, and I'm using them in, front, in the exclamation points, like the alien <laughs> ant movies of the 1950s. We think there are many of them, different yeah, them. Yeah, they are. They are. There are many of them. Some are benign, some are neutral, and some are hostile. And they have to come to grips with all of them. But preparing the American public's consciousness, it's all about consciousness expansion and allowing people's awareness to go beyond the borders of their uh, sensibilities and their perceptions. uh, That's what this whole thing is about, extrasensory perception and allowing people to exercise those perceptions. So that's that's my opening statement. It's It's an admirable attempt to extricate themselves from 77 years of big lies and to regain the confidence of the American people. Well, I want to get into later in the morning why and why now, because I think I have some divergent opinions from most people as to why now. Um, Mm -hmm. I have seen this trend curve, and I kind of realized decades ago that we just had to wait them out because at some point they had to get pregnant. And the question was, well, how do you how do you know and when do you know and what are the you know, the, the tea leaves and the, you know, entrails and all that. And I think it has to do with its, its steamboat time. They have to get pregnant now because bigger things are about to happen and they have to clear the decks for everybody being kind of united that, A, it's real, and B, we're all going to figure out together what the hell they are doing here. And that really yes. is, is the most important thing, I think. Yes, and I would hearken back to... As far as reasons are concerned, I would hearken back to Ronald Reagan's speech before the United Nations when he said that the whole world would be united very quickly if we were faced by a threat from an alien force from outer space, and that how quickly we would find our common bonds rather than our differences. And I think that... Well, remember, that stemmed from his private conversations with Khrushchev, not Khrushchev, uh, Gorbachev. Gorbachev. Yeah, where they had that same conversation mm-hmm. um, yes. as a prelude to. But see, I don't think the curve was ripe then. It's ripe now, and that has to do with, you know, other things. So I agree. Um, let I'd me. I'd like to jump in briefly. Oh, by all means, Welcome. Yes. <laughs> well, the, sorry, one one of like one of the classic you. pioneers to have on tonight's pioneering show. Because without Kinthea, I don't think Grinspoon would have been able to make that damn statement, period. So, go. This is, this is an elephant in the room that I don't know anyone's going to talk about, but I'm just going to put it on the plate, and then you can do what you want with it. <laughs> but, you know, we're always noticing how NASA has is very into ritual and timing of ritual. Mm-hmm. 
And we also know that the early scientists of NASA were Nazis. I mean, they, they came over from Germany. They were Nazi scientists. Well, not all of them. Some of them were no, sprinkled in. Yeah, not all of them, but let's face it, a, a very strong influence there. Well, starting with and, von Braun. You can't yeah, get more influential exactly. than Werner von Braun, who without whom we would not have landed on the moon in Apollo 11. Okay, so what I, what I want to say here is it may seem like a tangent, but I don't really think so, because with the COVID, that was an attempt to dumb down the public and keep us under control. The cabal is into ritual, and I think that the cabal, and I'm not saying all of NASA, but I think that the cabal has a lot to do with NASA, and I think that this timing is not only about us getting to know what the that there are extraterrestrial anomalies. I do believe that's part of it. But I think it's interesting that the timing comes when the the banking systems around the world are making a push to push us into CBDCs. And uh, the banks are going down. The big banks are swallowing the small banks. So this is, you know, they, they've talked about, okay, let's get us into war. Ukraine hasn't worked. We're still not technically in that war. But one of the other scenarios is like, oh, what if we were attacked by aliens? Now, in this circle, we know that the aliens or extraterrestrials have been on the planet a good 10,000 years plus. However, the, the common people don't know that. The lay people don't know that. And I think that it's a bigger discussion than just whether or not NASA is going to let it out of the bag that there are extraterrestrial artifacts, which I'm confident that there are. But I think that the timing of it to me is very suspicious. And that's all I'm going to say, dear one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have more to say in the next two and a half hours. We're almost at the bottom of the hour. Stephen is standing by. He needs to kill his camera. We don't need to see the bright reflections. Kill your camera, Stephen, if you can hear me. And uh, we're going to take a break. And, uh, I mean, look, I, I frankly think this is a watershed moment in human history, certainly modern history. I think that if there are any importunings or plots or agendas or whatever, that they will be subsumed into the extraordinary gold rush of this recontact of the human species with the real reality in which it's been living in this little tiny bubble, thinking that the bubble was all there is, and the bubble turns out to be really, really, really tiny on a vast field of bubbles all moving in various directions. So I don't, I, I am far less concerned with hidden agendas than I am with process for making sure that those agendas, if they are out there, they do not succeed. And I have some evidence that, uh, in fact, we are, we are basically on the right track. So without further ado, let me pause here bring up this this is really an important night so call your friends text them whatever tell them to tune in it's free for three hours and then you'll have to join club 19.5 to check did she really say that did he say that you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland 
and we really are taking one step beyond tonight on the other side of midnight. We shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to this Sunday night, June 4th, 2023. A night, as uh, FDR would have said if he had lived and seen this, which will live not in infamy, but in history. Because we are on the other side, I believe, of, as Stephen would put it, the uh, paradigm clock. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to bring on Mr. Bassett, who, as you may know or may not know if you're new to the show, is probably one of the leaders all over the world who's been trying for decades, decades and decades and decades to literally bring this evening to pass, where the establishment makes a transition to where it's not if there are aliens out there, but who they are, what their agendas are, and how we wind up without killing the planet we wind up telling the entire world we are literally in this new paradigm. Okay, a little background on Stephen for those of you who may be uh, new to the show. Um, we are, let's see, I need, to, I need to clip that. Okay, doing that. Good, good, okay. Uh, Stephen and I have been at this a very, very long time. Stephen Bassett is a political activist the Disclosure Advocate Parash Galantz in Washington, D.C., and the executive director of an institution he created specifically uh, back in 1996, which is about the time I came out with my first public statements about artifacts on the moon. He created the Paradigm Research Group. And um, Stephen, I, I, I really want to know, did you pick Paradigm Research Group knowing deep in your marrow that 
this set of revelations, this transition into reality was going to change the human species, if not all our consciousness forever. In other words, the ultimate paradigm shift. Unmuting helps. Stephen? Uh, that's exactly why I picked that term, without question. Um, the, uh, uh, the implications of this event uh, are beyond measure. Maybe the greatest paradigm shift of all time. Paradigm is a term that came years ago with respect to science, uh, being the great paradigm shifts in science. I get it. Uh, who, is that, who is that famous guy who wrote the book? I should know it. I used to know yeah, it. Yeah, really well. I've quoted it a million times, and when you need it, you know, memory fails. No, yeah, it's like uh, the structure of scientific revolution. That's by it. Thomas Kuhn. Excellent. You've got it. Thomas Thank Kuhn's you. book, Structure of Scientific Revolution. However, it can be applied to uh, more than just science. It can be applied. To oh, it's everything. It's yeah, it's reality. You know, because yeah. all we uh, really have science all we re- along with this. All we really have so, are paradigms of reality. We don't ever really touch reality. We touch our models of reality. And most people, they kind of lose that middle part. So when you set this thing up and call it the Paradigm Research Group, I knew at some point that name, Paradigm Research, was going to come into its own. Sure. I didn't think it would take 26 years. <laughs> uh, and my friend Jordy has a lecture series, which is about to be brought back to life, called Architects of the New Paradigm. Uh, my good friend Danny Sheehan is uh, in about well, he's in the process of launching and then funding a think tank called the New Paradigm Institute. Uh, you get it. You see where this is going. <laughs> uh, it is from the standpoint of worldview, and ultimately will include perhaps some major scientific breakthroughs. Might even ultimately include ET open contact, but certainly the announcement, the disclosure event. The formal confirmation of the extraterrestrial and non-human, pres- non-human presence by heads of state of nations, probably starting with our president, is disclosure. It takes about 10 seconds, and that is the biggest, most profound event in human history in that sense. Now, look, really the profundity comes from all that is going to follow pretty, pretty shortly thereafter, but I'm trying to make it simple and to the point. And so, yeah, it's about to happen. Uh, and I think you had a question you wanted to talk to me about uh, NASA. Yes, of course. My favorite agency. I used to work for them, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, well, what, all right. They just had the event. Let me back up. Uh, have you now had time to look at any of the four hours? Probably not. No, I saw, I saw about two hours of it. Oh. And believe me, that's about all I could handle. Okay. See, to me, it was far more interesting than all this Pentagon arrow nonsense because they really limbed out over four hours an arc for the problem, how to tackle the problem, the implications of the pro- In other words, for the average layman, not for us jaded people who have been at this so long, I thought it was the best four-hour arc of why, this, why we should give a damn that I've seen by any of the agencies so far. Well, yeah. I mean, we, the entire history of NASA 
Nothing like that has ever happened. In fact, they could do nothing and say nothing at all, even though they're barraged with questions and people are constantly chiding for the fact that you're the space agency. Why have you got nothing to say? However, because well, well, of hang on, hang on, hang on, the hang last on. five years, uh, starting in 2017, everything has changed. And uh, the, the, DO, the, the Department of Defense has set up an interagency group legislation is being passed. So NASA had to get involved. Otherwise, it had to be involved. So they put Bill Nelson in charge. He knew it was coming. And he announced uh, that there was interest in it. They were going to look at it. Then he announced they had to set up a little research program. And now they hold this big formal uh, presentation and, and public Q&A, though they selected the questions carefully. Uh, and so what's going on here? It's very simple. This is if, if, if you knew nothing else about this subject at all, and you watch this, you would be you would be so impressed with NASA's thorough and thoughtful uh, presentation of all the things that should be done using all of the government language and the scientific language, and everybody speaks a foreign language, uh, you know, in a foreign accent. They've got triple PhDs, all that stuff. Well, hang on a second. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. To hang be on. engaging this issue all along. Hang on. Yeah. What I came away with that four hours is that we are irrevocably, and I know there's been a lot of dissent, and there are people like Richard Check and others, you know, even Carlotto, who basically is thinking this is Lucy and the football all over again. What I saw in that four hours, in a way that I have not seen from all the Pentagon uh, shenanigans going back to that New York Times article in 2017, is an all-of-government approach, serious, bureaucratic, up the wazoo, mm -hmm. money, budgets, offices, program office, and oh yeah, we're going to look for extraterrestrial alien-made artifacts all across the solar system. In fact, the uh, current chairman of the panel, whose name, first name is David, I think it's Spurgler, if I'm not right. Do I have that right, Stephen? And, I don't recall. And he is the chairman of the Siemens Corporation Group. So what they did is what NASA no normally does is bring in outside experts, set up an advisory panel, and part of the law says all these advisory panels all through government have to be made public. So that's why they had this first public meeting. It was kind of like the CABE report back after the uh, uh, Columbia disaster. So anyway, this guy sits there and he says rather bemusedly to the head of the Arrow Group, which is over in the Pentagon, who gave a briefing in the first two hours. He says to him, well, he says, because they were talking about the name change from unidentified aerial phenomena to unidentified anomalous phenomena, which of course covers everything. Okay. Everything can be anomalous, particularly if you find a damn city sitting on the surface of Mars. So this guy, the chairman of the panel, which is how I know the fix is in, in the right direction. He had this kind of impish smile and he said, well, you realize, Dr. I think it's Kilpatrick, he says that you guys take care of the atmosphere, and from above the atmosphere, NASA is everything else. So it was yeah. basically a de definition, like two dogs in a parking lot, we own this territory, you're on our space, not we are in yours. Okay, look... Uh, well, that's how I, you know I, things in Washington are serious when you start having turf battles over who's going to own it. 
Dick, I'm down to a few minutes. Uh, I'm at this conference. All uh, all kinds of stuff is happening. I'm overwhelmed. Let me get. I've got a few minutes. Let me let me get out the keyboard. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if every single member of that panel is fully aware, knows full well that this phenomenon is not human. Every single one of them. All right. But NASA is supposed. This is what NASA is, which should have been do, should be doing and should have been doing with respect to the evidence for what we have been seeing. But they couldn't. The government, the Department of Defense, the Space Act wouldn't allow it. Their hands were completely tied. They could have found entire civilizations on the back <laughs> of the moon. They couldn't do anything. And so now as we move forward, now, front. of course, it's appropriate. They can now come forward, but they can't. They have to be careful. And so they're setting up all the structure, laying down all these protocols. And a lot of people are thinking, ah, NASA is going to be doing all this stuff. And that's going to help confirm the extraterrestrial presence. That's not where they're doing all this stuff. They're doing it. So people can see that they're doing the right thing. And then the president will announce the extraterrestrial presence and say, oh, 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 wow. Yeah, but he'll announce it based on what data sets. Remember, no, he's not. It's not going to have a damn thing to do with what NASA finds. NASA's going to kind of have time to find anything. They probably won't even be set up by then. We're going to have hearings very shortly, and the testimony is going to blow this issue sky high, ball game. And then, then, then uh, the president is going to be not forced, but be able to confirm mm-hmm. the ET presence in a way that the people go, sure, of course you have, and thank you, and it's all wonderful and apolitical, and it's great. Then NASA can say, oh, well, wow, wow, <laughs> they're already here. Well, we're looking forward to getting the information about that from the DOD or, or Arrow, and that'll be nice. And people are going to be shaking their head going, what the hell just happened here? Public relations just happened here, trying to look as good as possible before the party begins. There's no other choice that they have. But the good news is this. Everything they're setting up, all of that verbiage and all of that structure and all those guidelines, everything else that's, that likely cost a lot of money, it's not going to go to waste. Because guess what? Every bit of that is going to be needed from NASA not to find out whether the extraterrestrials are here, but rather to engage the fact that extraterrestrials are here in the post-disclosure world. NASA naturally wants to play a huge part of that, and there's so much to learn, so much to find, and of course they're, they're, they're going to be uh, much more latitude for their activities. Everything is being set up at NASA, Aero, the government, the legislation, all of that will still be useful and important once the confirmation comes out. Don't expect all of this somehow to be part of one day we'll get it all together. No. This is we know what's going on. We must do all this stuff because otherwise the public is going to be more than just a little irritated when we finally confirm, one, there's ETs here, non-human intelligence, and two days later when asked, the president will say, yeah, we knew about it in 1947. Awkward, but the people will be generous. If they don't do all of this pre, pre-public relations stuff and set up and do the right thing, then the public is going to be a lot less happy. It will show that they almost begrudgingly told us the truth. And so this is public relations, Dick, pure and simple. Everything else is just fluff, See, but it will be this useful. This is where you and I have a fundamental disagreement. But it's a pleasant disagreement, and I love having the fact that we can disagree because we've crossed the Rubicon. We have something we can disagree about, which is real developments, real policy, real unfoldment. I think NASA is so much more critical to this because, frankly, I think ruins are far more important than ETs. In, it's in, critical to in, the post-disclosure the world. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 excuse me. I have is a it question. critical to the process of discovery? No. 
Yes, it is. It's not Robert, even going to get to have Robert, a chance to do that. Robert, go ahead. Look, yes, I, I have a question. I have got 18 people waiting for me downstairs. Uh, in the lobby. Don't leave. I have a question, and you can answer it uh, later. Quickly. Yes. I. Why do Dr. Stephen Greer and you, every time that you are promoting advancing UFO disclosure, you never mention the subject of abductions or cattle mutilations? You brought up the name of Stephen Schiff yep, last, yep. last yep. week, and I brought up uh, Harrison Schmidt, who both of them insisted on hearings because of the cattle mutilation issue. But I feel that Dr. Stephen Greer is always trying to paint a smiley face on all the aliens as if they're all space brothers. And I think this is a very serious issue that has to be addressed. Let me answer. Let me answer. In, in, in many presentations that I give, I talk about all the phenomena. I talk about contact. I talk about uh, uh, the cattle mutilations, crop circles, and all of that. I have talked about that. I've given hundreds of interviews. You can find that. But when it comes to addressing the disclosure process and talking about that, that material is not going to help get this thing into Congress, into hearings, into the president's desk. It's just too much to get through the door. So my job is to get the disclosure. Once we get the disclosure, we are very quickly going to find out about these other things. Without disclosure, we could be going around and around about cattle mutilations and crop circles for another 10 years. I'm an activist. I have a goal. Disclosure is the goal. The rest, step aside until we get that. That's why you don't hear it more forcibly from me, and certainly not in the context of the politics. What Greer says and does, I can't speak to that. Well, Stephen, thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. All right. Thanks, guys. Did Stephen leave? I think Stephen has left. His public. Yes, he's gone. Richard, I'd like to make my opening statement. Yeah, let me let me uh, properly introduce you. Okay, since we have a lot of new audience, and I have some things I want to pick up in terms of uh, uh, what Stephen said. I wish he'd been able to stick around because obviously this is going to be the subject of many future shows. So we'll just defer it till then. Barbara Honiger served as a high-level government position. Uh, I keep doing that. In, <laughs> in high-level government positions, including White House policy analyst, special assistant to the president for domestic policy, and director of the attorney general's law review at the Department of Justice during the Reagan administration. For all her other credits and what she's doing with 9-11, Truth, and all that, you can go to the website and look up her bio. Barbara. Your political spidey sense, what's it say about this? Right. Well, the first thing I want to say is one small step for NASA, one giant leap for humankind. Yep. I, I agree with you completely that it, it is a, a major shift. Um, the second thing I want to say is I think it's a brilliant strategy on NASA's part because if I understand correctly, that basically what they're calling for is a review to go back into what they're claiming is, well, we have all this new evidence since, you know, 2017 and such with the Navy video releases and whatever. So we, NASA, need to go back into our trillions and trillions and trillions of terabytes and see if there is any evidence of extraterrestrial artifacts, civilizations, etc., in our own solar system. This is a perfect cover for them to suddenly discover what they've been covering up all the time and save face. 
Exactly. I mean, it's brilliant moves. Exactly. And I even know how they're going to do it. And I'm going to announce tonight, I may make some news here, because I have figured out how they're going to do it and why 90% of the population will go along with them, not just in this country, but all over the world. But before we well, get to okay. that. Before now, the other thing, the other thing I well, wanted to let say. Well, let me just add one, little, let me add one little postscript and have you uh-huh. comment. Stephen dismisses NASA because he, he really wants to talk to the space beings. He really thinks that that should be front and center, and NASA does not deal with human or ET relations. They deal with data. They deal with photographs. Well, astrobiology. They have a whole astrobiology department. Yeah, but it's all about unconscious molecules and stuff like that. My point has been my point has been for decades that if you're going to let the world population know after covering it up assiduously that we're not alone, up to and including Robert's idea that there's a real downside, the mutilations, the abductions, the bizarre human absolutely, absolutely. But to go back to the political nature of how do you reveal to the average person all over the world, not just domestically, that we're not alone after you've been assiduously denying it for decade after decade after decade. The thing that came out of that four hours was how much the participants on that panel, all those 16 members, were recommending and relying on the NASA brand to turn stigma into a positive, to make the UAP research Derriere, mainstream, accepted, anticipated, look forward to, as opposed to constantly being attacked for holding mm-hmm. outrageous views by the mainstream model. As, mm-hmm. part of, as part of that strategy, I have said from day one, when disclosure, the magic D word, finally comes, the way given Brookings that you do it is you go through the artifact doorway. It's easier to get people to think about alien presence and alien habitation and aliens in the solar system in ancient, ancient times, and then you walk them up to the idea that somebody from that cadre of data may in fact be here now. They have now basically green-lighted artifacts, ruins, architecture, structure, ancient extraterrestrial civilizations is the opening of the door to everything else, but in a way that starts out being incredibly exciting and non-threatening. And it is going to be under the brand of NASA that they're planning as part of what they said in those four hours to change the negative of UFOs into the positive of we're not alone. It has to be. Right. No, I agree. A um, couple of other things I want to say in my opening statement. And um, the the second one um, is that I find it very interesting and important. And I think they did it very consciously when they said in the solar system. Oh, let absolutely. That the, let me speak, please. Let me remind everybody that the Earth is part of our solar system. And there are incredible anomalous uh, structures on this planet as well as potentially and you've been marshalling the evidence for many decades uh, on the moon and Mars and perhaps elsewhere in our solar system but in my opinion they are definitely on this planet 
And so um, they, they're anomalous um, uh, potential artifacts uh, investigation can be applied to the Earth itself. And my last uh, comment is that uh, many people don't know this, but, um, you know, I was, I was in the Reagan administration and I held the NASA portfolio in the White House. And uh, we've had a number of discussions about that on previous shows. But the point I want to make now is that uh, it was either you or it was it was you or Robert Morningstar, I think it was you, Richard, who um, a little bit ago on this show uh, tonight mentioned that uh, President Reagan and Gorbachev, in their one-on-one meetings, they talked about this idea that Reagan mentioned in his UN speech that critical. A statement that he made. Well, uh, you know, what if uh, what if the uh, what if the people of the Earth learned that there was an alien? Uh, there there were aliens. Um, there would be nothing that would unite the world more. Well, many people don't know, <clears throat> but uh, Danny Sheehan is the attorney for Louis Elizondo, and um, he's the uh, He's also founding this New Paradigm Institute um, and has already gotten the agreement of the former head of the Vatican Observatory in Rome um, to, to be in partial residence in, in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, where the New Paradigm Institute is being founded, uh, being you know, physically centered. And many people don't know that um, Danny Sheehan's um, partner, full partner, as well as his wife, Sarah Nelson, and they both live in Santa Cruz, not far from me. I've known them for over 40 years, very close. Um, And they're also my neighbors. Um, Danny Sheehan's partner and wife, Sarah Nelson, was the chief executive officer of the Gorbachev Institute. When Gorbachev... um, was no longer the head of the Soviet Union. Uh, the Gorbachev Institute was founded in the Presidio of San Francisco, and she was the chief executive officer. And Danny Sheehan has told me personally that he is so close um, to the Pope through the former head of the Vatican Observatory, who was instrumental in the previous Pope, the Pope just before, well, two Popes before the current one, um, coming out with, uh, with the, um, the Vatican encyclical uh, to the effect that, well, aliens would, uh, would be God's creatures as well, right? Um, Danny Sheehan is... Well, there was even discussion of baptizing them, which was really a data point in my direction, because you can't baptize people who have not fallen from God's grace, and that means he's talking about members of the human, fallible family. Right. So, so I think I think that we have a. Uh, let me finish my sentence here. Um, Danny Sheehan has been told. Now, this may have changed since then, but a few about five years ago, he told me at that time that he had been told that if there was formal disclosure. That uh, and that there was a presentation of what they will claim is some kind of a alien uh, to the world public, 
that Danny would be at that time, Danny was told that he would be asked to be either the lead or one of the group representing the Vatican to interact with that alien. So, and then we have his wife and full partner, Sarah Nelson, um, having been Gorbachev's CEO of the Gorbachev Institute. So this is, this is all converging onto a, a, really a very small handful of people on this planet. Well, people need someone they can trust. Okay, this is this is Ron Gerbron, our resident uh, generalist. Thank you, Ron, yes. for joining. Um, Barbara, do you want to continue? Do you want to take questions, or do you want to kind of? Wait? I have one quick question. No, no, I, I just that's fine. I'll I'll chime Barbara, in. We, go ahead. Yeah, we can go back. To, no, you can go back to Barbara if you like. I have a, but I have one question I wanted to stick in here. I wanted to ask Steve, but I didn't get a chance. Uh, I would like to know, with some small, direct, connected detail, what he means by his favorite word, which is disclosure. He gets he gets expansive to the point of vapor when he starts talking about that. It's a vague term. No, 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 no. I totally disagree. He was very explicit. He was very explicit that it would be an official statement by the president of the United States. Yeah, and how does he get to there to that point? That's this Well, that's it what needs he to means be the, by it. That's why I said it needs to be someone that is trusted. Now, how do you get to that point? And nobody talks about that. It seems like they just figure it's going to happen. There is a whole seething pool of factions and requirements and uh, cautions just under the surface of this. And you can't just wave a hand, whether even if it's the president's, and say, well, there's aliens, and we're, we're dealing with it as best we can, which wouldn't actually be a terribly <laughs> bad answer. That would not reassure uh, anybody. Hey, we're at the bottom of the hour. No, yeah. we're at the uh, top of the hour. I got it. I'm just hanging clock. it out, hanging it out No, there. no, no, it's a very valid like. point, which we have two hours to consider when we return on the other side of midnight. Um, let me see. I need to do this. There we are. I said this is a very important evening because we're kicking off a discussion which up until now has been totally theoretical. But Barbara made a very, very important point, which is there are terabytes of calibrated data. Remember the big thing from the NASA conference was the lack of calibration of, you know, people's cell phone videos, old film, et cetera, et cetera. NASA has calibrated data of ruins all over the solar system. And Bassett thinks that they won't have time to do any analysis. <clears throat> Surprise, Stephen. They already have. And they're just waiting for how to unveil it. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. The Other Side of Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. 
Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night for June 4th, 2023. We're talking about, again, I wish Stephen was still here, the paradigm shift of all modern paradigm shifts. And again, I go back to my central premise, which from day one, when I started taking seriously the idea that the Viking spacecraft had photographed real E.T. ruins at Sidonia. I realized that, I mean, I dabbled in the UFO thing. I'd talked to witnesses. I'd, you know, been involved at CBS with some background stuff. But it really hit me that this was the doorway the human race desperately needed. Because between live aliens talking to you and dead ruins, in which you could research, and libraries going back thousands, if not maybe millions of years, We come back to Ron's point. It ultimately is going to come down to who do you trust? Because if we've learned one thing about ETs and aliens over the last 70 years, aliens lie. They lie just as well as humans do because some of them are human. Some of them are part of the extraterrestrial family. Like Gary Nolan is talking about, they walk among us invisible and unseen, Because, except for where they put their hat when they go to bed, maybe, they're us. And would you trust us without corroborative evidence? Remember Reagan's major, major paradigm with Gorbachev, trust but verify. Bringing NASA into this conversation gives us an anchor, a solid place to stand, an analysis of ruins, and architecture, and when Artemis finds libraries on the moon, or Musk and his astronauts, that will be the calibration, the ultimately calibrated data for who do we trust in this alien, alien zoo. Anyway, back to our panel. So, I like uh, that. He got a fanfare. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. So uh, I want to bring Jonathan in because he's been very silent and very patient. John, you're working on a major show with major new revelations connecting 
ancient structures on the moon with ancient ET structures, maybe, here on Earth in Utah. So what were your thoughts as the week's revelations revealed? Well, I think Elon and his planned, uh, he's going to send the astronauts around the moon, as you just said, next spring. That forced NASA's hand. You think so? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's going to reveal NASA as, you know, all this cover up and people would be pissed, just like. Well, but uh, see, the you, other you, you seem to be assuming that, that the, uh, Elon is a, is a separate player. I, I think he's totally part of the team. It's all coordinated. It's all got time codes and time hacks and milestones and all that. No player in this tableau is an independent uh, agent of their own. They're all part of the same hymnal. I, I strongly believe. Hmm. Okay. Well, yes, there are uh, ruins on the moon that you pointed out back in 96, i.e. the, the shard and the tower. And uh, my recent research, you know, a couple of months ago, Richard, you asked me why I wasn't more interested in the moon. And I said, well, I've been looking at Mars for a few decades like yourself and more recently uh, at the Earth and Arches Park and all the ruins around the planet. And that all changed when I was studying uh, Delicate Arch. And I found this glyph and it led me to the moon and back to this shard that you pointed out in 1996. And I understood what the shard was and your dome and uh, this time crystal matrix. And then it led me to, I've amassed a body of evidence to support my theory about what the eclipses are, eclipses of the gods, I'm going to call it. Um, so there, uh, you said, like you said, these, this is major um, discoveries that uh, I hope, I can convey well enough to do justice to these gods who left all this for us. And they had faith in us that we would one day see this and figure it all out and put it all together. And, and I think that's coming down the road at, at a very fast pace now. I think, hey, Jonathan? The, I think the expression warp nine would be appropriate. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan, uh, since you, since you used the G word, for these folks. Okay, uh, extraterrestrials come down, they proclaim themselves to be gods. Now, do you think this is the only place they ever did that? There's a certain It's all over the galaxy. In right, fact, so they've done it before, which yeah. means they have a pro set of protocols. And well, but Ron, so at, at the risk of disagreeing, yeah. let me disagree. You have no idea if that's true or not. We have all these extrapolations that, you know, there's you know. This, there is this, you know, uh, federation or, you know, individual populated systems and people go from system to system and act like pirates or robber barons or whatever and exploit the natives and all that. That's all based on one data point, which is Earth, Earth history, humans. We have no idea the social or political structure of anything out there, anything, except we look at the ruins the architecture, the geometry, the math, that stands still. Everything else is a work in progress. Well, I'm not arguing about any of that. 
It's uh, just a question of uh, what were they after when they got here and all that list of uh, brigands, pirates, et cetera. And then you again, you have to turn around. They've and all to, been here. And you have to ask the question I asked at the top of the show is, who is they? Mm-hmm. Aliens, yeah, exactly. real aliens, are presumably have very different agendas than folks that are related to us and want to come down and play God a la Stargate, you know, SG-1. Two totally mm-hmm. different paradigms. Yes. It's because, because you don't have a 19th century scenario. All of the standard modeling of ET human relations, going back to Heinlein and Arthur and Isaac, and all those people, they're all totally bunk because they're extrapolating from a data point of one. If you really live in a multidimensional universe, the idea of limits on anything, materials, resources, pig iron, energy, coal, whatever, it's all crap because you have infinite energy to manipulate matter into any form, maybe even manipulating consciousness. So all the rules, which are based on our limited prison-like existence on this one little dust speck, cannot be applied to what's out there because we've been deliberately kept from knowing what's out there. And when I say out there, I don't mean just in 3D. I'm talking multi-dimensional realities. Well, I agree, Richard. You have the gods who, they go around beautifying the galaxy, making these solar systems. Well, some and, of them. Maybe only, and, remember Clifford Simak wrote a book in the 50s called The Cosmic Engineers? Yes. I recommend strongly, everybody find it and read it. It's a tour de force on what we're facing now because basically Arthur Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology will mistake, make us mistake the guys wielding it from gods. Yeah, and I agree with you that, uh, you, so you have these engineers. All these folks that are coming to Earth, all these UFOs and stuff, those aren't the gods. They're like local uh, you know, they're from elsewhere, but they're not the gods. They're just um, advanced beings and, and so on. And But I, I think it's two different uh, groups of people. See, one well, of the How cool... do you know which one is lying? Exactly. That's why you have to find the damn libraries. You find the real histories. And then you calibrate like you do with ancient civilizations on Earth. This is propaganda. This is puffery. This is Caesar trying to stay in power. And there's a substratum of things you can trust because they stand still and you have independent correlating evidence. It isn't magic. It's just a lot of elbow grease. You mean like the the stones, the the stone tablets that tell the whole story of the history of this planet? Which stone tablets are you referring to? Tell the history of this planet. Are you guys not listening to yourselves? Which do you have a picture of them? That's like the that's like the tablets of the the Mormon tablets. We don't. Well, I would like to ask Jonathan about his pictures. I found something very interesting, fascinating. Uh, Jonathan, in your pictures two and three, are those uh, separate pictures of the South Pole or the same picture rotated? In either case, there's something very interesting in it that I'd like to talk about. Uh, two and three. Let me take a look. Two and three. That is the same. Same picture rotated. 
Thank yeah, you. it's rotated a bit so that the South Pole is a little more visible at the top there in image three. But yeah, they're both using uh, the South Pole as the crown. And you, if you're looking for their faces, the crown is an easy way to find you. The crown's always there. And then you can see there's going to be lots of faces with this one crown. Oh, okay, as, we have a lot to cover tonight. I want to do Jonathan justice by doing three hours next Saturday, and then Robert... Okay, you'll, but you'll... let me make my comment on this picture. I'm intrigued by the luminosities, the pinpoints of light that are in the South Pole and off to the east in one of them. And I have found craters that have structures in the South Pole, so I'm wondering... Oh, yeah. Oh, totally, wait, totally. You... Fascinating picture. Thank you. Wait till I... I, I mean... I, like I said, I'm putting together, uh, I've got this whole other data set on the eclipses. So in uh, item number one, let's say we can use that. You have the South Pole uh, centered there on the moon. You're looking at, and all I did there was go on Google Earth and have the near side of the moon. You're looking at it and then just rotate the moon um, upward until the South Pole comes into view. So what we have now is the sun would be down uh, south of the moon and the earth would be, you know, the top up here out of frame. You know, the earth would be up here. Well, you here. simply flip the moon the way you see it through a telescope just, where the image is inverted. And you can rotate this globe that NASA's created from the LRO imagery from mosaics into any attitude you want. Yeah. yeah, so I'm and I want to do a 3D model of this so I can show it very clearly. But um, just imagine the sun and the, the moon comes up. We're we're about to have a solar eclipse, uh, a total solar solar eclipse where you have the edge of the sun, the corona of the sun. You can and you get this diamond ring effect, is what they call. It. So just imagine now the sun is the moon's coming out and, and the sun is shining. It, it's filling up the lower half of the moon and light is leaking across the bottom of the moon. And it, it lights up just like in Arches Park and around the earth, the sun moves across the sky and all these shadows appear throughout the day and disappear. And then you have some new shadows come in and a new scene and then so on. And it's telling the story. It's the same thing on Mars and the moon. So, the light comes in and it leaks from this guy's hand. It comes up to the South Pole. It, it slips into the, the South Pole. These craters are so engineered and sculpted in this artistic mm-hmm. storytelling. It's so spectacular how the but light goes in there. But it's on a there. scale that most people, when they hear about it or see it, their first thought, Ron, is going to be, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, all the light collects, and then boom, and you get that diamond ring. But when I saw this, it's not to me. This was not a diamond ring. <laughs> we're gonna have we are gonna have fun next Saturday. Don't give away the candy store. We want to okay. spend enough time with enough detail. I have some surprising images to add to your story for next week. So um, Georgia has joined us. She is our resident metaphysician. Uh, worked with uh, Manly Hall in Los Angeles for at least 10 years. Uh, she's been able to listen even when she's, uh, you know, segueing from her Sunday night classes to being on this show. Uh, she's been able to kind of hear, I think, a lot of the background. And I'm dying to find out, Georgia, 
What do you think of what's going on? <laughs> Good evening. Good yes, evening. Yes, I have been. I have been listening. Uh, can you hear me all right? Bye bye. Okay, great. Um, I'm coming at this from the angle of the effect on consciousness. It's really interesting that in the esoteric model, it's said that as we transition into this new age that, that we're moving into, that humanity would undergo an expansion of consciousness, momentous as when humanity became humanity, way, way back whenever. And it's sort of like, I like your, your bubble analogy, Richard. Uh, we have been living in kind of an eggshell or a bubble that is a very, very narrow uh, comprehension of our reality. And there's all this life everywhere around us. Uh, there's, yes, this whole direction into space and what we find there. But there's also intelligence in the animal kingdom that we've not quite touched yet that we're going to discover. Uh, there is some uh, movement toward discovering the intelligence of trees and plants that we just had no clue about. Uh, there's the whole area of uh, studies in, in cryptozoology. There's all of this life in all kinds of different ways and dimensions. And one direction will be the peck of the chick out of the egg that will open all of it. And it looks like the space direction is going to be that prick that opens up this entire conglomerate of life everywhere in all different kinds of frequencies. This is going to mean that humanity will shortly undergo a huge psychological challenge, which is we've thought for recorded history anyway, that we're at the top of the food chain. What is it going to do to humanity's identity? Uh, it's going to produce some kind of identity crisis when we realize that not only is there all this life out there, but some of it is more advanced than well, us. But, but wait a minute. That's assuming the mainstream model that there are aliens and humans and never the twain shall meet until they do. And then you have the Brookings problem. You know, remember the, the most endangered group in Brookings, this NASA report that was put together, you know, just as Eisenhower was leaving office and Kennedy was coming in. Uh, and that's how we know about it, because the Kennedy administration made it public. And it basically said the most threatened group in any disclosure scenario of extraterrestrials would be scientists, because they basically make their living trying to figure out how the universe works. And if they find there's a superior culture with a million years of history who have figured it all out. It's like, why would they show up in the office? Because all they would be doing is going in someone else's footsteps. That was the canonical 1950s model. You know, we're isolated. They're isolated. A ship comes, crashes, lands. We meet aliens for the first, you know, standard, standard sci-fi stuff. Right. But if we discover that in fact we are part of a larger, incredibly splendiferous family who through no fault of our own have been cut off for X number of thousand or 
tens of thousands of years, and now we're being welcomed back into the fold, the consciousness and political and social aspects of that are completely different. And that's why I think that's the doorway we're ultimately going to have to walk through. I I agree with you. And I have that optimistic, hopeful uh, view of things myself. Um, but it's still going to be a shock to humanity. Oh, for most people, yeah. First. But they'll but get the over it. Look at, look yeah, at, the recovery will be amazing. Incredibly most rapid. people will ignore it. No, they won't. It'll be part of every big tentpole movie they go to and spend their $20 or whatever. Why do you uh, think uh, Brookings recommended that we spend decades in preparation? That's what Star Wars and Star Trek and you know Guardians of the Galaxy and all this stuff has been about preparing the average person to go, oh, well, I'm glad I know that now, instead of freaking out. A, and there was an episode of Star Trek uh, uh, with Jean-Luc uh, that laid it all out. The episode was called First Contact. Oh, not really? Not the mo- not the movie, but the the TV episode where uh, the uh, Federation was ready to make contact with a planet that was exactly where we are, and it was a little bit too soon, and the the moral of the story was give us a couple generations, we'll get ready, and then come back. A brilliantly done episode, brilliantly done, at a time when no one else was thinking about this except Stephen and me and, you know, people on the panel tonight. Um, let's see, I had a question. I had a question. Can I oh, Ron, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Yeah. A statement on behalf of the uh, larger portion of humanity, I think. Uh, most people are comfortable enough with the idea uh, of uh, intelligences elsewhere. But what we get from official sources, and this is kind of universal, are pitches. They're pitches, just like a, just like a story plot. The, uh, we don't know that they're any more intelligent than we are. The only thing we know is that they tend to be telepathic, which we tend to not be. But in terms of everything else, when you look at the, uh, the occurrence and appearance of uh, UFOs, uh, they tend to be uncannily similar to whatever works for that uh, era of humanity because the ones that were that were responsible for them were not sure what was going on here so they made the best analogy they could because they were trying to connect they were trying to prevent present something that people would comprehend you know it wasn't just a flash in the sky it was well in the case of Joan of Arc it was shields and crosses battling in the sky we can relate that to craft shapes uh in the case of the stuff in the 1890s the great airships there were like three of them uh, you mean you mean three, you mean three waves? No, I mean there were three separate designs that were seen. So there were um, uh, hazarding against. Oh, but there were hundreds of sightings. There were hundreds of sightings. Yeah, right. But it may only been it may only have been as few as three. But it doesn't matter. They were comprehensible in a world. That well, wait, 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 wait. Do you remember one of the Star Trek episodes? Since we're on my favorite subject, which is Star Trek. I'm going to bring up something else. There was an episode where where Data went kind of haywire because he was attacked. And the Federation had a almost like a duck blind 
hidden by technology in a cliff looking over a, a civilization. And right. because of technical issues, the, the cloaking fell away and the local inhabitants realized that incredibly superior being, beings were eavesdropping and spying on them, and they were not happy. It was I, called Insurrection, exactly. and it was a movie. It was a movie, yeah. Anyway, and it turned out that these people were more advanced than this. Yeah, exactly. Well, that goes back to an episode in the early uh, uh, first-generation Star Trek where, where uh, the, the Ar- Ar- Argalian – remember the Argalian – Peace Treaty and the Klingons are introduced for the first time and all that, and these apparently pastoral people are really super beings just pretending to be pastoral humans. Anyway, the point is that when we get into this process, various communities are going to look at this unfolding reality through the lens of their own most trusted leaders and prophets and soothsayers, which means religion. Yes, Richard, and there were two. Ep- there was an episode and a movie uh, with Sean Luke. They both had uh, the Enterprise. You know, the Federation people were observing because um, the one you're talking about, I think, is, is the episode um, where they're watching the people, and then they they see that um, there's people. You know, the local people see. Oh my gosh, there's some folks watching us. And there's a kind of a priestess woman that she's the boss. And at the end, Picard takes her up onto the Enterprise and shows her her planet from space and explains to her, you know, the ship is just a tool. We were like you, we and we just our tools improved, and here we are. Because she she thought he was some kind of god. Yep. Well, remember, good good plots get recycled endlessly. Yes, Ron. Yeah, there's there's one very much like that in Star Trek Enterprise, but I <laughs> I assume that considering the commentary uh, so far, everybody's pretty much familiar with the uh, one of the movies, the earlier movies, uh, First Contact, where the uh, Vulcans detect a warp signature and they come to check it out, and they run into Cochrane and uh, you know his people in the. You, Everybody's seen that one, I suppose. Well, there's a mimicry of and, that. And his famous raccoon coat. <laughs> yes, and there's a uh, – and his drinking habits. And there's a um, – yeah, there's an episode of the uh, dark side on uh, Enterprise where it's an exact copy of that. They, even, they had the same actor there in the same coat playing Cochrane and everything else. And the uh, with the same music playing in the background, the same Vulcan ship comes down and lands and opens, and what looks like the exact same Vulcan come out. And when the guy gives him the live long and prosper finger thing, uh, he tries a couple times, and uh, Cochrane, and then he reaches in his coat, pulls out a sawed-off shotgun, and blows them away. And he says, storm the ship, take everything. And... Uh, the resolution of that is that, uh, and they still left in the science fiction book, I won't mention, uh, they became starfarers just overnight because they kept a couple of the Vulcans alive to show them how to run things, and they figured it out, and they conquered much of the galaxy. Yeah, and that goes back <laughs> to a novel in the 1950s by Poole Anderson High. called The High Crusade, High Crusade, where the Middle Ages, you know, knights, with archers and swords and and uh, you know armor and all that, they literally capture an alien spaceship and wind up setting up a galactic empire at the level of 
medieval France and England. It's a, it's a, it's a tour de force of implications of you don't need to know how to make the technology run. You just need to hire or enslave somebody who knows how to make it run. And that's the story of Gyges from ancient, uh, what is it, ancient Greece. Yep. He finds yep. the, there's an earthquake, and then he finds this uh, cave opens up, and he goes inside, and there's a couple of these skeletons, and on the hand of one of the skeletons is this ring, and he puts it on, and I, I believe it probably had a twist mechanism where you just twist the ring and you become, but it made him invisible. So he used the ring to take over the country. I mean, he goes yeah, to the... We are at the bottom of the hour. Everyone hold it there. My guest this morning, too numerous to mention, go to the uh, uh, webpage, the other side of midnight, the guest page, and you can just click on the bios and... We will introduce all these people again. Here on the other side of midnight, we're talking about the beginnings of the paradigm shift, I believe, and Stephen believes, and in fact, I think everyone on this panel believes, this is kind of, as Heinlein said to me the night, we're looking out at the full moon where the astronauts are walking on the surface and we're watching the moon through the open hangar door, and we're watching them walk on the moon on the little black and white television on the set. And Robert said to me, in future years, this will be day one, year one. From his lips to God's ears. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
saying good morning now here in the land of enchantment, everyone. It's uh, coming up on the witching hour, the hour of midnight, the other side of midnight. Well, we obviously have an interesting range and diversity of opinions as to what is going to happen next. So um, uh is going to join us from England momentarily. But Georgia, I think we kind of in our enthusiasm, we all rushed in and we interrupted what you were going to conclude or continue saying in terms of consciousness. So uh, please continue. Well, I mean, that was about it, that this is a huge expansion of human consciousness and therefore of identity. You know, the collateral damage to our psyche will be dependent on how this is handled. You know, Ron made a a really important point that everybody kind of skipped over here, and I'd like to go back to it. He was talking about the telepathic aspect of this, that we're not. Um, And he was talking about how the forms that they present uh, are within the range of what we can understand. For instance, today we have abductions uh, where people are subjected to, you know, scientific probing and experiments and there's lost time and there's a, uh, a, a sexual component of uh, reproduction perhaps with hybridization going on. And yet a couple hundred years ago uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, there was no spaceships, but there were fairy hills. Mm-hmm. And there are little silver people with great dark <laughs> eyes that were tricksy and took you out of time and brought you back in a different time and wined and dined you and mated with you in the fairy hills. I mean, the components are the same. The twist on it is different depending on the culture. Uh, and uh, that's a really interesting aspect to this whole thing. Yes, and I'd like to recommend to everyone who's interested in this topic what I consider to be one of the most brilliant books, if not the most important book ever written on UFOs. It's called Passport to Mygonia by Oh Jacques Jacques Vallée. Yeah, I did a, a, a webinar on where is Magonia about a month and a half ago, <laughs> and it's. Um, well, it's right here. It's in the interdimensional realm. But uh, before I go on, I want to return to the, the NASA hearing uh, with an analogy. But uh, very importantly, I want everyone to remember the life of Mary Ann Westland Curry. She is the mother of Andrew Curry. She passed away peacefully yesterday, surrounded by her family. Oh, thank and you. Andrew, I, I was going to bring it up toward the end of the show. So. Uh, it's, it's, it's important to, for us to to reflect on that. And I said to Andrew um, in conversations we've had since then that in her passing and in my mother's passing and in the passing of my friend Jill's mother, I have realized... Say nothing about Robin. And Robin, but here, I have realized the purpose of life. And the purpose of life is death and making the transition properly. And the purpose of life is to educate ourselves and develop our souls so that when we pass through that portal, we will know exactly where we are and where we're going. So my, my love and my heartfelt sympathies to Andrew Curry, who is a very important person in my life and I'm sure in all our lives. Uh, so God bless Mary Ann Westland Curry. 
Uh, I'd like to return with an analogy to what NASA is doing right now. NASA is saving face for some disgraceful agencies that can't face the public, meaning the CIA and the United States Air Force in particular. And the analogy is, what do you do when you've painted yourself into a corner with bloody red paint? What can you do to escape? There are two things you can do to escape. You can cut a window in the wall next to you and let the sunshine in. And the other one is you can make a quantum leap over all that painted red blood painted floor. And I believe that that quantum leap is at the core of what is happening. I believe in reflection of the, the turn of the world against the oil industry, the turn of the world against fossil fuels, that they wouldn't be doing this unless they have a rabbit in the hat. And the rabbit in the hat is something that I learned about in 2011, 2012. It was supposed to come online in 2014, and it was called the National Ignition Project, which was the first fusion reactor. In the last few months, they've been, again, the um, environmentalists are at war with the oil industry, which has a political battle to take away their power in politics. And five or six years ago, New York City's mayor decreed that they had to get rid of all oil, oil uh, burners, oil uh, boilers, and to install gas in every building in New York City. And now Biden has come out and has said that he's going to ban stoves and cooking with natural gas. That sounds insane unless unless you have something, the rabbit in the hat, and I believe that they are about to spring the fusion era on mankind. So let's hope the quantum leap is real, and let's hope the window lets the sunshine in. And NASA Robert. is taking the fall for, is being the, 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 uh, the vanguard to restore uh, respect to Robert. some very disgraceful agencies. Yeah, that's it. That's as, the, as, as the house contrarian here, it's a <laughs> perfect, point. perfect point for me to mention. You're, no, no, hear me out. Everybody listens to everybody except poor Barbara. I, I, I think she just... Oh, stop feeling sorry for yourself and say your piece, yeah. please. Yeah. Aha. Okay. Uh, this room with their, where they have painted themselves into a corner with bright red paint, I have a different scenario as to how they're going out of it and a good... Uh, rationale. Uh, they are simply going to march right over to the door, never mind the wet paint. <laughs> and the reason I say that is that something that I'm sure all of us are unfortunately familiar with is in domestic violence situations, the simplest kind where the wife gets beat up by the husband, who comes and bails him out? The wife. Who gives a... who? gives a hard time to the police that you're trying to write up a proper report so they can throw the guy in jail for a while. And you can reverse the roles at any time, any way you like. Uh, the beleaguered victim. And we are, in this sense, the beleaguered, I mean humanity in general, the beleaguered victim. They are simply going to tough it out. That's my prediction. And nothing much is going to happen. Uh, just like the batter, just like the husband, the brutal husband that gets bailed out by the battered wife. That's what's going to happen. 
and I'll I'll stick by that. There are a million uh, scenarios in the Naked City. Okay, Ron. As, as long as there's here. no cookbooks showing. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Yes. Very good. No cookbooks. Very good. I was just going to talk about that scenario to serve man. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before we do that, we need to bring on Ruggiero, yes. who, is, who is joining us from yes. Britain. Ruggiero is a, a podiatrist. He graduated from the University of Southampton School of Health Professional Science in 2004. And the reason he's part of this conversation is a because of his interest in the subject. B, he's one hell of an artist, and he was the first ever to sketch from a scientific, medically accurate perspective the curiosity, discovery in one image of a set of bones, one of which looked incredibly eerily like a human femur. And I don't know, I don't think it's a femur now, but but Ruggiero, you did the the, 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 the pioneering uh, work in that so when you put the image side by side if you're any doctor you you can't you can't say it's just a piece of rock which of course nasa has been doing once you unveil the real politics make the search for et artifacts including organic and biological artifacts you know guerre de guerre uh commonplace accepted with no stigma all bets are off that there won't be a whole bunch of other guys mimicking Ruggiero's classic work by making sketches of other organic remains on Mars. What do you think of what we've talked about so far this morning? I joined a little late, shit, but uh, what I've heard, quite, in, quite incredible. And um, I, I like what Robert had to say this morning. I'd, I'd also, thank you for the introduction, by the way. And I'd like to send my condolences out to Andrew and his, uh, his family. Um, I think what's going on with my little recap uh, on the subject is quite quite phenomenal. I looked at that space.com article, and I don't, I really don't know how um, the space agency are going to um, dig themselves out of a little hole due to the, um, I would say, lack of recognition by um, the alternative media looking at um, you know the evidence we, we've we've collated. Um, on one of the space.com articles, I, I believe I read, um, it said that they, you know, they've looked at, uh, at the evidence out there and there wasn't really any evidence. NASA haven't found any evidence to make it worthwhile. That, um, sorry, not worthwhile, but there, there's anything um, you know, that they need to look at again, basically. Uh, and that's not true because uh, you know, your team uh, and many other people out there have got very strong evidence that needs needs to be looked at and quite frankly like the bone for example um, has not to my knowledge ever had any scientific uh, study done on it other than they've looked at it they said it's a rock and they rolled on all right let me let me interrupt no actually actually a tiny thing i uh, since i i'm the one that reads all the pdfs uh rogero actually a lot of medical people have looked at it you know, you haven't had anybody come and do, and do a press conference, but you just ask somebody, a paleontologist, to look at it. It's closest to a Homo erectus femur. Now that fits the model. Yeah, and I could, I could, if anybody cared, I could explain why that's what it looks like. But there's two of them, by the way. They, there's a second one in a different location. Yep. Well, what, what, what I, what I think yet. happened there is that curiosity kind of wandered into a, 
ancient graveyard, I, I think. I think it's a grave site, yeah. There's other things around it. Yes. That, that has to do with how the but picture But see, here's the point. It doesn't out. matter that all these other medical people have looked at it. Nobody was willing to publish anything because most of the background of that four-hour conference I thought was fascinating. One was they dealt with the stigma and the problems of the stigma over and over and over again. And I'll get back to that in a second. The second thing that was an underlying background strain through the four hours was the necessity, the opportunity, the incredible, you know, uh, serendipitous aspects of involving the public, citizens, scientists, people that NASA normally wouldn't even allow in, in the lobby at headquarters are going to be invited in the front door, and I think that might include me, and we will have the platform to present all of this evidence that we have accumulated. The first thing when they established the office of UAP and NASA headquarters with a sub-office devoted to extraterrestrial artifacts, they're going to get a copy of the Donald J. Trump presidential briefing so they can look at the span of the evidence they should be addressing and, of course, at the same time, we'll send it to the media, and then we'll say to the media, just keep checking to make sure they're looking at the evidence as they said they're going to. In other words, we have passed a political Rubicon where even the most determined of cover-ups, I don't believe, can possibly survive what's politically coming at the level of ordinary citizens who are all talking to each other on social media. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, that phone structure, Richard, I, I've shared it with uh, several um, you know, medical type people from chiropractors to physiotherapists, one or two other podiatrists and uh, you know, other people with science degrees. And they've all gone, whoa, that's a bone, man. But it, where'd you get that from? <laughs> it's, on the, it's on the NASA website. And, and then you tell it. them. Once I tell them where I've, I've you know, got it from and... Um, the faces just look at me in dis, you know, disbelief, and then they have to change the subject. Like, a lot of people can't handle. But see now, they've got window. they have they they have the cover that NASA says stuff like this could be out there. So the mm. entire equation has changed radically, fundamentally. We are at AD compared to BC tonight in this uh, subject. Richard, I, I really hope you get back on a main stage like you, you were able to at the, um, what was that big, uh, oh sorry, the United Nations, when you did your presentation, your first one on Cydonia, I hope you're able to go back on a big stage uh, and present this further evidence that everybody has collated um, and, you know, ask people to open their minds and look at this, you know, from I, I think this is going to accelerate at such a rate that it makes Warp 9 look like primitive, you know, stone knives and bearskins. There is no controlling this. I don't know whether, I, I wish Stephen was here because he somehow seems to think this can be controlled. I think past a certain point, it will be unstoppable, uncontrollable, and unpredictable, mm. which scares some people to death. Yeah, that's why they'll snap back and let them get away with simply being blatant about it. And I don't know what all that buzzing is. 
that's probably my 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 sound system is not is not working great. Um, run. You really have to, Rogero. You really have to turn off the internal uh, or the external noise. It's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll can you just use your. Phone. Can you can you just use your phone? You know, without. Can you listen to it that way? Um, I can try. Let's see that. Let, let me let me let me uh, let's let's move from Rogero till he sorts out the sound problems. Let's go back to Robert. Robert, you have a whole set of things organized. I want to give you enough quality time uh, so we have a long enough runway. Where would okay. you like to start? Uh, well, let me start with item number one because it's, it's very timely. I talked about the disgraceful behavior of those agencies, the CIA and uh, the Air Force, and how they have treated people and uh, to keep the secrets. And the biggest crime committed in the name of national security and secrecy was the assassination of President John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy. Both of them were condemned to death for high treason for sharing information about UFOs with the Russians. Well, I think, frankly, Kennedy wanted to do what we're talking about tonight decades ago. Absolutely. Listen to this. I celebrated President Kennedy's birthday last Monday on on my Monday show on Revolution Radio. And it was a celebration because we have broken the cover up. I've worked for 40 years. I worked for 60 years investigating it, but literally investigating it uh, to solve the crime. And we have solved it. And that's item number two. You're going to see an item number two, the man who killed President Kennedy making the confession. But in item number one, ETs Among Us, part seven, UFOs, the CIA, and the JFK assassination would give you all the evidence why President Kennedy was killed. It was the November 12th memo that he wrote to the director of the CIA, NASA, the DOD, all of the services demanding a reclassification of all unknowns. That was his word for UFOs because he was afraid that UFOs were trying to uh, precipitate nuclear war between Russia and the United States. Oh, it States. almost happened like three or four times. Yes, indeed. And as a matter of fact, I mentioned uh, last week, his first real crisis in the White House, 12 days after his uh, inauguration, was a, uh, a, a DEFCON alert from NATO, where a UFO fleet was flying out of uh, Russia, racing toward uh, Germany and France, overflew Germany, France, Britain, turned uh, north between uh, uh, Scotland and Ireland, went to the North Sea, then went back east over the Scandinavian countries and then shot straight up into outer space. These were called fast walkers. So in Sibella Clare's movie, E.T.'s Among Us, which I'm very proud to be in with Jim Mars and Linda Moulton Howe, we present the evidence, and I'm talking about real evidence, classified CIA memos that were saved from a fire by a white hat CIA guy who didn't want to see it burnt up and obliterated. In the second uh, movie, I Kill JFK, I recite the Operation Zipper files, which prove that the CIA and the Department of Defense and the FBI got together, they held a kangaroo court martial on President Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy for having bypassed the State Department and the CIA to negotiate with the Russians. I want to say this. On Monday, 
I played President Kennedy's speech before the United Nations, uh, which he gave on September 20th of uh, 1963. And even there, all these 60 years later, I saw the hidden hand of the CIA cutting the video. There were moments where he was in the middle of a sentence and they edited the video and it would jump and the next sentence was out of context. So I went and I searched for the full text of President Kennedy's speech. Are we talking transcript, written transcript? Uh, yes, a straight transcript. And I looked for the key word, which was astronauts. And I would like to read you what was cut out. Oh, beautiful, if, if, beautiful. Please, please. So he was saying, and he said, he was talking about costs, research, construction, expenditures. And he said, surely we should explore whether the scientists and the astronauts, and chop, they cut it. So I'm going to read you two paragraphs. And I think they're very important because... Take your time, you hear, take your time. This is important. Okay. So President Kennedy said, he asked the General Assembly, and he spoke directly to the Russians. He said, why therefore should man's first flight to the moon be a matter of national competition? Why should the United States and the Soviet Union, in preparing for such expeditions, become involved in immense duplications of research, construction, and expenditure? Surely we should explore whether the scientists and astronauts of our two countries, indeed of all the world, cannot work together in the conquest of space. Sending some day in this decade to the moon, not the representatives of a single nation, but the representatives of all our countries. All these and other new steps towards peaceful cooperation may be possible. Most of them will require on our part full consultation with our allies for their interests are as much involved as our own and we will not make an agreement at their expense. Most of them will require long and careful negotiation and most of them will require a new approach to the Cold War, a desire not to bury one's adversary, but to compete in a host of peaceful arenas, in ideas, in production, and ultimately in service to all mankind. All of that has been cut out from the current versions of the speech. And I'm very happy to share that with you for John F. Kennedy. So we go on. John Kennedy definitely was about to preside over the paradigm shift we talked about tonight. And it was too soon. And, yes. and you know, it was too soon because the Cold War had to be maintained. There's the Eisenhower military industrial complex. There's the right. whole chauvinism of the deep state controllers versus what happens when they're no longer in control and visibly not in control because somebody else has bigger toys than they do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I want to spend the last hour, and we're getting close to the top of the midnight hour here, in talking about the implications. And I want your backgrounds to venture as widely and as high as possible to limb out the possible futures that this incredible decision point made public on Wednesday is now laying before us. And we got four minutes on this side. 
Well, I foresee, if it is successful, I foresee the vision of Stanley Kubrick coming to reality. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you say if successful? Failure is not an option, Robert. uh, I haven't spent 40 of my blankety-blank years doing Mm -hmm. this to die in defeat because an agenda was slipped in like Cynthia was raising at the top of the show. It's all hands on deck. We fortunately have the power Mm -hmm. to shift this curve and that's where our audience comes in. True, but we have international adversaries who want a different vision. The New World Order and the Illuminati are not necessarily on the side of America, the United States of America, uh, cutting forth forward in a, a new independent path. So there is a potential for sabotage of these uh, events. But my hope is that Stanley Kubrick's vision is what will emerge and we will be living in the 21st century that he foresaw with uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, joint ventures, moon bases with Russians, the Clavius, Tycho magnetic anomaly and journeys to Jupiter. So that is, that is my hope and my prayer, but we must be um, realistic. We do have adversaries, both, on the planet Earth and in outer space. There are factions in outer space. They're contending. We have been protected for 10,000 years from being overwhelmed by what you want to call the fallen angels and the Nephilim uh, or demons and devils. They're interdimensionals. Well, I would so say we have, family, just family. We have been imprisoned and quarantined. That's right. We, we, we do live in a prison planet, as, um, as uh, Alex Jones says. But we're breaking out, you know? Think about... Burt Lancaster and brute force, you know, we got to get rid of the bad <laughs> warden first. <laughs> we have to get rid of the bad warden first. <laughs> See, that's the red f- footprints in the hallway. They're just going to, bu- they're just going to barge right out and say, all right, what are you going to do? We're telling you, we're telling you it's all real. Well, okay, guys, we are almost at the top of the hour. The witching hour here in the land of enchantment in the deserts and the ancient sweeping vistas of the ancient Anasazi. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. You're on the other side of midnight. And tonight we're talking about the paradigm shift to end all paradigm shifts. NASA finally admits, A, there's artifacts out there, ET artifacts to study. It's scientifically plausible. And B, that they're going to be first on the runway to do just that for the next hour and we'll take some of your phone calls too i'll give those out when we come back we're going to talk about what does this all mean short term middle term and long term we shall return oh karen carpenter gotta play this one come on are there friends out there i think there are otherwise be here to celebrate this milestone
Sunday night, Monday morning, here in the Land of Enchantments. This is probably, even though a lot of people don't know it yet, the most determinative week in the modern history of humankind. Because once you introduce the idea that it's legitimate science in the Western paradigm to look at ruins and architecture and whole moons and asteroids and comets that are not actually natural because there's a reason. And it was both Barbara and Ron, and I think even Georgia, who noted that Grinspoon's statement did not say something limiting like anomalous phenomena on the surface of nearby planets. No, he said across the solar system because they know what a muamua was. Even tonight, at the conference that uh, uh, Steve's attending, their contact in the desert, Abby Loeb and Jerry Nolan are launching a new initiative, which I think is going to be based in San Francisco, I think. I think uh, Danny is representing them. It's so interesting to me that Nolan is talking about the folks, the aliens who are living among us, like could be nothing but family if they can pass on a subway for, quote, the average guy or gal. No, we stand at the threshold of absolutely unimaginable wonders and possibilities. And frankly, I want to spend the next hour stretching your minds and your imaginations. What would be the best outcome of what now has been officially set in motion? Okay, so we're back on. Who wants to grab the floor first? I do, I do. <laughs> go for it, go for it. <laughs> well, something Georgia said earlier, um, so two points about consciousness. One this, is... This, by the way, is Jonathan, in case you don't recognize the voice. 
Yeah, she was talking about how it affects uh, the consciousness. There's different, uh, you know, animals and so forth. So uh, for anyone who's out there who, who studies cymatics, I would like to see them play whale song and then prepare yourself what you're going to see. Because when they play the tones and they get all these geometric perfect shapes and so forth, um, it's time to do the whale song. And point two is something we talked about before, Richard, is Mars and Earth are perfect examples of engineered consciousness where they make this planet, they make it out of kind of rock. They add these, like in Arches Park, you have all these arches where all this light uh, is being channeled around. They they create a conscious planet. I don't even know how to describe it, but the planet has consciousness. And they've engineered... Well, wait a minute. Well, wasn't it Teilhard de Chardin, who was a great uh, Catholic philosopher and thinker in the last century, didn't he talk about the new sphere, which basically is arcane, you know, I think it's Latin, for consciousness yes. sphere. Mind, mind sphere. Yeah. He was a Jesuit. Yeah. And he, he wrote a book called Building the Earth, and he conceived the idea of the noosphere. But he also conceived the idea that the universe is being called to evolve in a particular direction. And he developed the term the alpha and the omega. And in previous uh, epochs, people have thought that the universe is exploding and being pushed by an inner force outwardly. But the omega point is actually drawing evolution, life in the universe toward a pre-designed or preconceived idea and being opposed by an anti-omega. So this is a very important point. The noosphere is the mind sphere. Nous is mind. So uh, thank you for mentioning Terre de Chardin, who taught at Fordham University, from which I graduated. He's one of my favorite guys. I mention him well, whenever I can. I, I need to jump in. Oh, yes, Barbara. Hi. Terre de Chardin. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you five by. Yep. Oh, okay. So this is Barbara. And uh, I have two important points that many people may not know about Terre de Chardin. Um, is everybody aware that the Christic Institute was named Christic because of Terre de Chardon? Um, Danny Sheehan is a very important person in all this. He's an he's an attorney. He was the head of he was the head attorney uh, for the Jesuit order in the United States for a decade. We now have a Jesuit pope, and I mentioned to you before that he has he's very close to the former head of the Vatican Observatory. Uh, who was instrumental in getting the Pope to come out with his uh, with his uh, formal uh, encyclical, uh, acknowledging that uh, if there were other forms of, uh, I hate to say humanity, but I, I don't like the word aliens, that Danny Sheehan was told that he would be selected to uh, interact with them. Um, on behalf of the Vatican, and that was some years ago. I don't know if it's still true, but it might be. Um, so he chose. Well, look at how he's he in the thick of everything, Barbara. Yes, I, yeah. Let me let me finish, please. I want to get out some facts on the table. We'll do so. Um, so the Christic Institute was called Christic because of Tyre de Chardon, 
But I, I just want to share an amazing synchronicity in my own life centered on Terre de Chardon. Um, I, was, I was literally guided to Danny Sheehan. We're very, very close. And um, what happened was, is uh, for reasons that I don't need to go into, they're, they're tangential to the, to the main point. I ended up in Poughkeepsie, New York. And I was dating a guy from Stanford, from the medical center, and he was a medical student, and he wanted me to meet his parents. Anyway, I uh, flew out. He lived in Poughkeepsie, New York. That's a long And we time. flew out together and met the parents. But the important thing is that um, uh, there was an afternoon when we decided that we wanted to go and see some important things around Poughkeepsie. And... Um, he said, oh, well, we've got to go to the Culinary Institute because um, you can get really inexpensive, fantastic meals there because the students are learning to cook. And so we went to the Culinary Institute. Well, there was a sign on the door saying that they were closed for whatever reason, for renovation or the kitchen had caught it on fire, whatever. So uh, we decided it was a beautiful place. It was a gorgeous fall day. And we decided to just walk in the beautiful fall leaves in the woods um, in the little road that led away from the Culinary Institute where we parked the car in the parking lot. And as we walked away from the Culinary Institute, we came on the right. The Culinary Institute was our back, was to our back. We came, uh, I would say, a few hundred yards. And on the right, there was a huge wrought iron gate and it had uh, a large um, chain around it with a padlock. And I was instantly drawn towards that gate. And I walked away, I walked away from my friend Larry Hoder and I said, I have to go in there. And he said, you can't go in there. It's locked. There's a big, there's a big lock on the gate. And I said, no, it's open. And he said, no, it isn't. I said, yes, it is. And I went to the gate, and it was unlocked. I mean, there was a padlock on it to make people think it was locked. But it was not, in fact, hacked, you know, latched. And so the padlock just opened up, and uh, I took the chain off. (laughs) And I opened uh, with a big creak these uh, big black wrought iron gates. And I walked in a few steps, and it was a graveyard. And I was instantly moved like iron filings to a magnet directly down. The graves were on either side with a a walkway in between on the grass. And I walked absolutely rapidly like I knew exactly where I was going, even though consciously I didn't, straight down, down to the front. I believe it was the second row on the left. I turned left immediately and turned around, and I was in front of Tyard's grave. Who? I was in front of Tyard de Chardin. Oh! Right. Oh, my God. Wow. I was absolutely led there, and you can imagine I've read, I've consumed everything, the phenomenon of man and everything else that he did, and mm. that led me to Danny Sheehan. And when I told Danny Sheehan that true story, 
He was bowled away. <laughs> and we have been soul brothers and sisters ever since. Um, the invisible like mention, hand of God. Okay. Uh, I'd like to mention that uh, Teilhard de Chardin was a thorn in the side of the Catholic Church. And yes, so he was. They, they decided to get rid of him and they sent him off to China. <laughs> and while he was in China, <laughs> he was part of the expedition that found Peking Man. And started to re, rewrite uh, the history of mankind. And he wrote a book called uh, the, the Mass at the Top of the World. And so he is a very important man. Maybe we are coming into the Chardanian age when people can start to appreciate his genius and uh, his spirit and his vision that the universe is being drawn somewhere very positive. Which yes, and, and my Omega. understanding of the Omega point in, in many discussions with Danny Sheehan and after reading everything, the Tyredar Shardan, I believe that he was speaking to me directly. Um, and I, I believe that the Omega point in his vision was actually a biological entity, a conscious biological entity. Absolutely. And I don't mean that that is necessarily... Uh, an in an individual like we think of ourselves as individuals, but a conscious entity. It's actually a conscious biological entity. You want to hear well, a really, really, really wild idea based on that? Yeah. I think one of the real pressures for NASA to evolve the idea of artifacts and you know the, the treatise of other consciousness across the solar system. Who do you think could be hanging out in the oceans of Europa that could be much older than we are and who perceive, because of the unique hyperdimensional environment of Jupiter, won't belabor the point, felt for many, many years that one of the stunning surprises when we finally drill down through the ice, there may be someone home. Well, what if Europa is actually an egg and the, the star child foreseen by uh, Arthur C. Clarke? Remember, when uh, Bowman goes through the Stargate, what ultimately emerges is the star child that is born in orbiting uh, Jupiter and then makes his way to Earth instantaneously to save the Earth from a nuclear holocaust. Well, and, if, if we're thinking of uh, ET influences and if we're talking about <clears throat> telepathy, and that gets into some of my guests, my surprise guests I'm going to have in the next few weeks uh, because I run into one uh, kind of through Robert that has an incredibly interesting parallel set of data and ideas to what I've been working on quietly, so he'll be on. But if you think of a much more ancient species in the right hyperdimensional environment dealing with a species in the inner system who have been deliberately been tampered with to exercise, like lobotomize, that aspect of human consciousness, except for a whisper. You get the idea that there's much bigger stuff going on out there that we've been totally ignorant of because we li literally can't hear the communication, the real communication, not radio dishes, you know, uh, pointing at the sky by... Uh, uh, what's his name in California? I think the real communication is what Barbara described. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm totally so I agree. Would like to, 
I'd like to point you to one of the items that I put there. I think it's number five, which is shapeshifters. And I would remind you that this document that I have, the MJ-12 briefing document, cites uh, a particular kind of extraterrestrial, which they described as transmorphic entities. And transmorphic entities are defined by MJ-12 as beings that live in another dimension, are curious about our world, open interdimensional portals, and describe them as pure mind energy. And that when they come into our dimension, these entities of pure mind energies can transform themselves into anything they want, be it a living entity or an inanimate entity. And I, I just thought that's pretty funny that if that is so, the vase that's sitting on my desk could be one of these creatures <laughs> just observing me. But I think that Barbara described a perfect communication with a higher intelligence that tries to reach to us. If we are sensitive enough and impulsive enough to break into a Jesuit burial site, Barbara, that's what you did. You took away the chain, you opened the gate, you walked in and directly because you were being guided. And we have to have the sensitivity to understand that we are being contacted and to act in the proper way and to act on it with well, but, trust. But see, then it's the question that. is, who was guiding Barbara? Because based on my four years, you know, interrelating with Robin, even though she's not physically here, I think that it's almost like that Hallmark card cliche, who cares mm-hmm. enough to send the very best. It's, my answer it, would it, be, it, it's the people who are part of us. My answer would be Omega Point was drawing Barbara to that place. Just as Omega Point mm, is calling us. That's, that's a little abstract, I think. I think it's my much. opinion, Richard, is that uh, it's her. We're born in the spirit world, and then we come to Earth. So we have parents in that's the spirit the model. world. Yes, yes, that's the model. And so it was her, you know, her guide, her guides, her parents, whatever you want to call them. I believe. Yeah, I don't think it was some ET. How or do you something. know I it think wasn't? It was her parents. Well, how do you know it wasn't Theodore Chardin himself? And I that could be was. too. Yeah, Gerald has a point. Yeah, you guys are overstating this. We all (laughs) have had, except the the dimmest uh, amongst us, have had those experiences where something drew us or guided us or pushed us to a certain point. That does not mean that it was your highest guardian keeping you on the path of fate. It's just well, this would be interesting if they ran into this right now, and boom hooking you up. I I think it's a natural part of things, which a lot of people go to a lot of trouble to disregard. Mm, Uh, You guys are putting way too much emphasis on it. Other than that, we're all puppets. Given the set of messages Robin has sent to me over four years when she shouldn't be able to theoretically send anything, I completely, uh, you know, disagree with that model. It's much much more specific much more directed, much more connected to the larger tapestry. And Barbara wouldn't be Barbara, the Barbara we have come to know and love on this show, in this ecological niche, without all those things that look as if they were just like chance. And in fact, they're like pearls on a long string. They were part of the preparation for now. Richard, and that's true for all I, of us, of course. Yeah, of course. I, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not disputing at all Barbara's position. She's more sensitive than most people to these things, and so therefore, there's more overt influence. 
as I look back over my life, there are thousands of those where I was guided or pushed in a certain direction. It wasn't a matter of, you know, either I picked this or I picked that. I mean, just it had to happen. And it all adds up to create the aggregate pain in the ass that I am today. Uh, this is the way life works. We are always in communication with other realms. And if they choose to help us or play games with us or anything else, you know, that's part of their recreation time. We're, we're overstating this. There's, it's, in it's your not... opinion, Ron. Can I jump in, Richard? Yeah, by all means. I'm going to yeah. throw in a little bit of science. Um, I, I forwarded on to you a while back uh, that the um, New Scientist and on the front cover, they had a, their article or articles was about does consciousness create uh, matter? And uh, also some people have the gift that when they're in their sleep, they can see geometry. You know, like the, as um, Nassim Haramain used to say about the geometry of space-time, you'd see it in fractals, but, you know, with your eyes shut and your mind's eye. So perhaps, you know, from the scientific perspective, there's something going on there that links up your two theories. And I'll leave it there. Okay. okay. Uh, do, uh, I mean, you know, do those little nudges that happen almost every day to the more sensitive people, uh, do those, whatever, whatever explanation they attach to them themselves, uh, do they outweigh, uh, oh, I don't know, photographs, uh, tangible objects, uh, or is it just more stuff? You know? Well, Ron, some people call it insight. So whenever has, you know, you can have an engine, someone who's not an engineer, for example, but they come up with amazing inventions and then create a business plan out of it. And they've never good had any tra training, you know, it just comes good to them. Well, good point. Good point. Gee, uh, like, speaking well, of photographs, why don't we go to Mars with Ron? Well, thank you, Robert. What a great idea. <laughs> I hadn't been thinking of that for the last hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to rain on, on Ron, but we've, we've got tons of data. Data, we are so data rich, it's, you know, if you didn't have other things, you know, it would take a million years to go through the data we've got. One more picture of an artifact. Frankly, who cares? I want to talk oh, about. I want to talk. I want to talk. I want to talk. I put days in Guys, picking the right items. And there will be other shows. The point is tonight. No. We wanna, tonight we want. I will burn the originals. <laughs> tonight it has to be part of. Tonight the, it has I want to be to, part of the buffet. Tonight That's I want to talk about why we should give a damn. Because most people point. in this country are so immersed in noise, be it Trump, be it Biden, be it, you know, Ukraine, be it anything. But the most important thing that happened this week that's going to affect their future far more than all this other stuff put together. And they are totally ignorant because no one talks about why it's important. You need, you need to picture that, Richard, because it's the most important question you're asking. Yes, you're, without you know, that, main... why are we doing any of this? Why have I spent 40 years of my life that I will never get back doing this day after day after day after day after day? Because it's overwhelmingly important, not just to me, but to everyone on this planet. Yeah. But I think that more than science and technology, it's the importance is to mass psychology, is to change the consciousness of humanity and elevate it to another level, a paradigm shift in psychology. 
That's what I think. Look, Richard, mm-hmm. I, I got, you asked a few questions, so I'm just going to jump in, right? So yep. I, haven't wa- have, I haven't watched the conference yet, uh, but I can't wait to do so. And I think back to Robert's point where he's like, uh, you know, they're just going to bypass us and no one's going to listen. But I would say, if they had no concerns, then why would they waste four hours on a public meeting discussing you know, UAPs and everything else? And then with, with your big question, Richard, my one is, as a biologist, you know, this leads to who are we and where do we come from? And uh, because science hasn't been able to answer those questions, we've got no missing link from, um, you know, our, our previous um, human incarnation, so to speak, in, in biological form. And we're going to have to try and answer those those questions, and they're, they're profound. So um, I think this is a massive deal, and every piece of evidence that we can bring to the table is of utter importance. But Robert said that, no, no one's going to listen. They're just going to bypass us. But, Robert, I'll point you towards... Um, Excuse me, that was Ron. That was not me, Ruggiero. That was yeah, I, was it wrong? Why, okay. That was me. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Our resident curmudgeon. We're all in it together. So uh, I haven't had enough sleep, so I apologize. But um, there's two brilliant, brilliant um, YouTube channels. Um, one, your good friend, Brian Forrester, uh, Richard, who's done an absolute wealth. He's done thousands of videos on looking at um, our ancient past and how, you know, one, one train of thought is that we just were using simple stone copper tools to build like the pyramids of Egypt and South America, etc. And, and then there's no link between them. And the alternative media is saying, no, something else is going on. And Un- Uncharted X, if anyone wants to look at that channel, goes into um, the same work that Brian has done, looking at um, advanced machining using on ancient structures. And you know, they've got, gained massive groundswell. They've appeared on the Joe Rogan show. So if they can do it, you know, then us guys can do it. And, you know, people have to what, what look at it. What was the name of that time. channel? Uncharted. Uncharted. X. Uncharted X. There's two channels. Uncharted X, the letter X. Yeah. Uh, there's Brian, Brian Forrester. And there's also Jimmy from Brightonside as well. Yeah, Ruggiero and everyone, I would like to recommend to you mm-hmm. To listen to an interview, I spent three hours listening to Graham Hancock and Joe Rogan oh, yeah. uh, the last, yeah, few, weeks, the last few days. And it's uh, an interview that he did four years ago about his book, Be- Before America, America Before. Right. And he's got a lot of answers uh, in, in this regard as to where we came from. And I love his statement. Uh, humanity is a species with amnesia. We don't know where we came from and we don't know where we're going and we won't until we realize where we did come from. So I recommend that Joe Rogan interview with Graham Hancock, one of the most brilliant people on planet Earth today, with an equally charming English accent to you. I like the fact that he's cranky. I like like that. Well, well, uh, with Graham Hancock, he's a brilliant researcher. He paints one impression. Absolutely. Of how, of how things are. And then other people can be a bit more um, to the point um, regards, you know, what's going on. That's what I love about Brian Forrester's work is just his fabulous, wonderful um, researcher. And an Uncharted X have followed on from his like legacy. And we need to do the same because we've got great data. And, um, you know, Richard's been a champion in, in, in bringing the subject forward. We only have Charles about a minute. Had that. We have a minute to the bottom of the hour. We'll save everything mm. for the next half hour because I'm going to unveil my model 
for how NASA is brilliant politically and how they're going to get out of Robert's room. <laughs> and yes, a whole bunch of things other things forget Rogero. I I borrowed Robert's metaphor <laughs> because I wanted wanted to alter it. So he's the oh. one that talks about the room with the red painted floor, and I'm, that's, I'm talking about the red <laughs> Don't blame me for your Okay, everyone hold it there. Oh, no, oh, no. I'm everyone hold it there as they proceed into the background. Ah, you are on the other side of midnight. It's Sunday night, June 4th. We are weeks away. Maybe even not that long. Like what's going to happen as, on the 20th, 21st of July? vis-a-vis NASA on the Apollo 11 anniversary. Remember, John Kennedy died because he wanted to share these wonders with humanity, and the deep state Nazis did not agree. Times have changed. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard Z. Hoagland. Last half hour to go, and it's going to be a ride. We'll return. Sunday night edition, this very important, I would say classic edition, because this is the milestone. This is the peak of the Rockies, where they talk about the raindrop that decides to fall west to east, depending upon which side of a tiny crevice it falls. That's the kind of time we're in tonight. We're at the threshold of extraordinary things that can literally, I believe, rescue humanity 
in the face of implacable evil, agendas, mixed messaging, distraction, and above all, all pervasive fear porn. There's nothing to fear from artifacts. Okay, we've got some folks on the line. Um, I'd like to open the line and see what our audience is thinking. There's a 727 area code, which is sitting here in front of me. And I think I'm going to open this channel and we'll see who this is. Welcome, 727. You're on the air. Yeah, this is Stephen in Clearwater. Um, I think one of the most... Yeah, I think one of the motivations for NASA for making this change is because they've seen uh, our AI-generated data, artificial intelligence, which shows that virtually every aspect of our planet, of everything in our planet, is unsustainable. We 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 are fighting entropy in virtually every every area of human existence. And we cannot continue. Everything is unsustainable. Our food is unsustainable. Our, 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 our environment is unsustainable. Our economic system. We're reaching an inflection point where we have got to convert to another type of civilization. And part of that would be to reveal the existence of others that could help us do this. And so I think it's, it's, it's or, basically... Or, 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 Stephen, of a science and technology... Yeah which already exists, which make all those problems you just you know, listed right. totally, totally irrelevant. If someone, the, the wardens, the prison guards, allow us use of what we now know is out there and in fact is here. But that's the huge political decision. What's big enough to challenge the inertia of thousands of years of being slaves? Exactly. And I think that, you know, they they have to work, live in this world too, and and that's I think they're starting to to realize that. One quickie comment about Jupiter and Europa. Um, I don't think that it's possible for life to exist there because of the hyperdimensional. There's so many moons and so many things that to find that it would be so chaotic hyperdimensionally that they their body rhythms there it would be too much activity going on that would allow, like we have one moon, we have certain positions, but I think it would be far too complex for life to exist there. We will find out. That's the cool part about this. We've speculated for millennia, now we're going to know. In fact, (laughs) there are some really amazing missions on the part of NASA uh, and the Europeans. There's the JUICE mission, which is going to Jupiter. There's, I know, another, uh, the uh, Europa Clipper, which is going specifically to focus on Europa, where, of course, I'm the guy that published first about the oceans and the potential life forms. But I hadn't really thought about how sophisticated. In terms of the Jovian hyperdimensional impact, the rest of the debris orbiting Jupiter is kind of like fly specks in the energetic realm compared to Jupiter itself. So I don't think that what you raise is a problem is a problem. I think, in fact, it's an asset, given that the environment of Europa has been stable for longer terrestrial biological environment. And if you're in, a, in the bottom of a gate, if you can literally open the gate because you're in the one part of the solar system which still functions after the war, I really am intrigued with the idea 
of whale-like consciousness swimming in those dark seas, but knowing everything around them because they don't need to see the stars. They are part of the stars. Oh, that's a cool way to think about it. That's very interesting. Well, thank you, Richard, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you again next week. Excellent. Okay, we got another call. This is from uh, area code 510. Oh, that sounds very familiar. Gosh, you are on the air. Oh, uh, and they went away. So let yeah, me open up. Hear you. Go well, ahead. Go ahead. Georgia. Yeah, uh, back in the, the 1930s and 40s, a very prolific a Tibetan teacher made the comment that Jupiter wasn't inhabited, but two of its moons are. Really? Who did that? Who said uh, that? A teacher named Dwal Kool that uh, wrote a whole bunch of books about Alice Bailey. Oh my. I wanted to point out to Richard that Space.com is trying to dethrone Jupiter as the king of the planet. <laughs> they came out with an article today that uh, wanted to put the crown on Saturn because Saturn has been found to have 145 moons. moons, much more than Jupiter. But uh, as far as size is concerned and prominence, I think Jupiter is still king. Oh, and speaking on. of Europa, speaking of Europa, I'm very fond of Europa. Richard and I we're tracking the impacts of uh, Shoemaker-Levy 9, and we had the timetable. And I think I'm the only human being ever to have seen Europa with the naked eye because I went out that July of uh, 1994 having the timetable, and I fixed my eyes on Jupiter, and I saw the reflection of the blast. I saw Europa. That is so amazing. Because the the geometry was that the particles... The, 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 the chunks of Shoemaker Levy 9 hit the backside from Earth uh, with huge gargantuan explosions in the stratosphere on the night side of Jupiter. So we couldn't see them directly. The Galileo right. spacecraft could see them. But the right. fact that you saw from these 100 megaton blasts, the reflection, the light echo off the brilliant ice fields of Europa, that is staggering. Oh, it's a blessing. You know what I thought when I saw it appear and disappear like a lighthouse appears to a sailor out yeah. in the blackness of the sea? I thought of the Star of Bethlehem. Oh, I wish we had photos. And what I saw after, remember I told you that immediately after, I saw a blue light in the upper atmosphere that was perfectly aligned with Europa just a little bit lower than it was. And you, your eyes bugged out and you said, have you ever heard of Cherenkov radiation? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently this blast, this nuclear blast that hit Jupiter was reflected off the ice. Well, it was the equivalent of. It was not. It was just kinetic equivalent. energy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. But I think there was some fusion in there. Nope. Anyway, nope. it released uh, Cherenkov radiation, which is a special kind of uh, blue light that is well released. it's radiation that travels faster than light in the medium thereby creating like a like a shock wave like a bow wave right but it knocks off uh electrons oh yeah that's why it's blue that's why it's blue but that and richard that, that i thank you because we worked for what six months you got the chart you got the timetable for all the pieces a b c d e f g h i <laughs> and so on and i and we found out early on that no one would be able to see the flashes on the surface and they might be able to see 
a reflection off one of the moons. And because we worked together and I, I really plotted that. And I fixed my eyes on Jupiter. It was, it was a half moon at the time. It's one of the most brilliant things or beautiful things I've ever seen. And I thank you for that. So, Hey, uh, Richard. Yes. Have you got room for an artifact? Yeah, sure. I spent sure. a whole week putting them together, and it's now the last 15 minutes. I'm sorry. Take a look at my pictures. Bronze okay. items, number, number 1A and 1B, the one and only time you're ever going to see both of those strange rings that are sitting on Mars at the same time. These are two completely different sites for people that say, well, that must be a piece of the rover that fell off. Uh, the, 1A, the black and white one there, it's one of the original frames. You can see from the shadow, it's a vertical surface, more or less, that this thing is placed on. And uh, it looks like a ring, like a drain or something. I think it's a vent. And there's a good close-up there. Number two uh, is an opportunity picture uh, from somewhere else, and that one's on the ground with some of those little blueberries around it. And that white stuff in the middle is typical of these things, apparently. There's actually a bunch more. There's just those, these are the only two sites where I could get a color picture because Spirit and Opportunity didn't have colored cameras. So they uh, only took a certain number of triplets. But, this this uh, is a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about in terms of NASA's political out, why they were going to be celebrated as heroes and not, you know, villains when this all well, then, shakes out. You want yeah, to hear it? You need number two. Can I have a second first? Go ahead. I'm going to take it anyway. Uh, number two was, is one that was used as an example. I can't remember for what on one of the um, uh, write-ups that NASA did about their own stuff. So the uh, yeah, the two smaller ones you can see what the entire frame looked like, and there's kind of a uh, but that's a close-up on the right, and it's like they didn't notice that thing in the middle. Zoom in there, and there's something with a little chain attached and a little, a uh, little fitting on the other end. I guess because it was, it was blue like the other stuff. It, um, uh, it, it, they missed it. And I'll skip the dragon eggs. But uh, number four uh, is the well, that's a machine. Yeah, I, it looks like an old. Lo- it looks like an old Oldsmobile V8. Well, I think still think it looks more like a piece of agricultural equipment or maybe an old adding machine. But it's uh, yeah, there's not a lot of question there, and there's see we can do this forever. We don't need more evidence. We need more political breakthroughs. Well, then you shouldn't have asked for it. Here's a brand new one on number eight. Ron, Rob, can I jump in? Okay, never mind. Yes, please, Uh, Roger. Go ahead. You're not that little bit of machinery. It looks just like uh, an old V8 type engine that we've got at Kimmeridge Bay, which is uh, falling into the water. So it's probably a boat engine that got washed up and it's really covered in rust and stuff. And it's like, like it's got work. an amal- amalgam around it. So, so know, but you can play the, the, the idea, what is it forever and ever and ever? And sure. it's pointless. Who knows? doesn't matter. It's not a rock. It's not natural. So let me go to the big picture. I believe NASA's trap door, their back door, of lying and cheating and stealing and maybe Robert even murdering people is going to be this new Godhead we're watching being created all around us called AI. You notice all the entrepreneurs, the free enterprise people all got together the other day and warned us of the dangers of AI. 
we're looking at chat box, whatever the, the initials are. Um, the uh, the uh, Blumenthal senator from Connecticut opened a hearing the other day, having an AI totally synthesize not only his voice, but what he said, what what the text was, what the script was. And then he announced that at the end of his little opening, and people looked really shocked. The fact is, AI, even at this level, can now create seamless realities that unless you're really, really paying attention, they will fool everybody, including those who are looking to be fooled or looking not to be fooled. Here's where I think NASA is brilliant in political strategy. They have, as I said, you know, hours ago when Barbara brought it up, they've got terabytes of calibrated data all over the solar system of incredible artifacts up to and including whole orbiting, you know, shattered ancient spaceships. When they apply, if they haven't already, AI algorithms to this database under the new office of extraterrestrial artifacts, what will come out of that process will be AI says there are artifacts on the moon. AI says there are artifacts on Mars. AI says there's incredible resemblances between huge geoglyphs on Earth and ancient structures on Mars, etc., etc., etc. And NASA will simply say, until we develop this AI capability, human beings were incapable of seeing the gross scientific pattern and moving it from speculation into science, and 95% of their audience will buy it. Yeah, except for all of us. But it doesn't matter. Rise. We don't matter. You know. But we do. No, we don't. We do. In the in the big not, if, not by that model, we don't. Remember, no, no. Remember, AI lies. AI cheats at chess. I caught it doing it. I don't trust AI. I don't believe in artificial intelligence. It, I think we're superior, and we are organic that's, intelligence. That's a, that's a philosophical argument for another time. I'm talking about a practical political solution to an impossible room with a red floor, and you're in the corner with a paintbrush. You're spot on, Richard. Thank you. Now, here's the good news. We are not going to be ignored. I spent, what, three minutes intruding on Mark's space the other night on Coast, per George's wish. I cannot tell you how many emails from how many old friends and colleagues and media people I have gotten in between all my technical issues with the Internet here, because if you listen to the rest of the show Many callers were very fond that I appeared, remembered our work, know our history, and as this moves forward, I have no doubt I will be overworked, overworked, overworked in filling just media demands, let alone the social media circuit of people who remember the monuments of Mars, et cetera, et cetera. No, we are not going to go quietly into that good night. We are part of the process, Robert. And they can't shut us up now because the biggest thing they could wield as a weapon was, oh, you're not science, you're speculation. Now they've made it science, and so we're on an equal playing field, and we have the advantage that we've been here for 40 years. Yes, and we can show them where the artifacts are. We, we, we will. I will draw up a list. We should do. We should do, yes. Well, when they opened the, 
remember, they made a big deal during the four hours, so you've got to watch the four hours, of involving citizen scientists. Citizen, citizen, citizens. It was a background refrain. Every speaker brought it into the conversation, even those that were touting AI. How, how do you systematically you know, organize cell phone video, that kind of thing? So we will be part of the process because there will be an office for NASA outreach to citizen scientists, and we're going to be in the front of that line when that office is formed. Richard, could you please let us know where on the website for tonight's show, I have looked for it and I cannot find it, where, we, where there's a direct to the four-hour Oh, hearing? it's my first item. It's space.com story. And the yeah, third, but I've read that. I don't, I don't just, see where to go scroll, to the actual just, video. Just scroll down. The video's right there. It's embedded it in is. the article. Yes. Just I think keep she scrolling. has to refresh. I think you need to refresh. It wasn't up there when we began. Maybe oh, okay. Yeah, it wasn't there originally. Oh, you have to refresh constantly because Keith is updating constantly. Okay. Richard, I would like to note uh, an artifact, uh, very easy to find. NASA released it in a blink of an eye when the Galileo spacecraft was crashed into uh, Jupiter. I watched the whole thing. And at the end, as they were running the titles, they showed one of the starships that's embedded in the rings of Saturn. There's a book called The Ringmakers of Saturn, Saturn by Norman Berglund. And they actually showed the photograph for one second. And I have fast eyes. So that's one of the things that well, we have Well, most of out. these so-called moons they're finding are mm-hmm. habitats or spaceships. That's yes, why Grinspoon did not... That's why Grinspoon did not narrow his definition to a planetary surface because the big surprise for everybody except us, the whole damn solar system was a designer solar system. There was a huge war. There's huge artifacts and junk and debris and ruins and technology and ancient ships all over. And this is their way of backing into that door and saying very sheepishly, oh, my, look at that. Well, this thing I saw was not a planetoid. It was not spherical. It was a bullet no, shape. No, starship. no. Exactly. And, and there's a whole bunch of close-ups from Cassini, which at the appropriate time we'll bring up and we'll talk about, because it's obvious they're ancient spaceships. And it reminds me of that great line from Kirk um, when, they, when they did the, the movie on the whales and they land in uh, Golden Gate Park. And what does he say? Remember where we part. This stuff was parked so generations, maybe millions of years down the line, could go find it. Well, the line that I remember from that movie that stands out in my mind is, for God's sake, Jim, we can't leave Chekhov in the hands of 20th century medicine. (laughs) Yes. Okay, we got 10 minutes, actually a little less. Who wants to grab the floor now? Minutes. You're also eager. Okay, then I have item number two. This is so interesting. Item number two, uh, a few months ago, maybe a year ago, there was a Spanish researcher who developed an AI program. Uh, I forget which institute. It's, it's, it's linked there in item number two. And he basically gave it the problem of finding a phone call, <laughs> of finding a artificial geometry on the surface of Ceres as a test for his AI program able to differentiate between natural things and artificial things. 
and you can see the headline. AI finds square structure inside triangle on series failing experiment to see if it could be used to find aliens. Newsweek, headline written by Newsweek, which of course is owned by the CIA. Point is, that was pre-BC NASA, and tonight it's AD, after disclosure of ruins and alien artifacts and a search, formal search by the agency. I wonder if Newsweek would write the same headline, because obviously, from all the work that some of us have done on series, it's covered with artificial structures, but in that era, just a year ago, even the guy who invented the, the, the algorithms to find what he wanted to find, when he found it, he rejected it because, paradigmically, it was impossible. That's why tangible artifacts are useful. Yes, not disagreeing at all, but we're up to our belly buttons in artifacts. We're lacking in recognition, and that's what happened Wednesday. The process. Well, if you don't show them to people, they don't know. Oh, about. stop whining, Ron. It's really I'm getting. I'm not whining. You're, yes, you are. So, moving on. Barbara, where are we going next politically? Where are we going next politically? Uh, I don't. I, I honestly don't know. Um, I do think it's a, a brilliant observation. There, I haven't been able to watch the NASA UAP hearing yet. But I think it's a brilliant observation. I don't know if they mentioned it during that or if it's your independent observation that um, the only way to really pull out of this massive data that NASA has and have said that they need to revisit, which is their way of saving face and covering their you know what, <laughs> um, uh, to apply AI to it. Because uh, that's, that's, that's a way. <laughs> That, that's a way of, um, of saying, well, you, as you said, we, we couldn't have seen it. We're just merely human. It's the perfect uh, <laughs> excuse. And most, excuse. People, most people will buy it. And that's how they yeah. get out of the room, Robert. They simply... Yeah, and I think something like that has to happen so that they can point the finger at AI. Well, see, AI, AI made us tell you this. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then after that, I still think it's a kind of a quantum leap to get to what Steve Bassett calls disclosure at the level of some major net. Well, wait, 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 wait. Look at the possible timeline. I've always said the doorway to walk through first is not aliens with ray guns. I said that on Fox. You know, back in the 90s, 95, when Clinton revealed the little microbes in the, in the, in the Martian meteorites, um, I was invited on Fox. I was invited to all of them that night, and I went on Fox, and I talked about how this was first because microbes don't threaten us with ray guns. So here's, okay. here's the sequence. NASA will announce from its – remember, it's been trundling around you know, Jezero Crater for years now <clears throat> looking for signs of biology. <clears throat> what if they announce they found it either from curiosity or from perseverance? So there's – other life elsewhere than Earth, just not intelligent. The next step is applying AI to the terabytes of artifact data in the photographs from all over the damn solar system, including surface of Mars, moon, etc., etc. The third shoe 
in this three tripartite unveiling <clears throat> will be real live aliens or ET, but after the proper background, oh, we're not alone. There's biology out there. Some folks left ruins and then somebody shows up. It's the perfect political progression. So that's my projection. I just don't know quite what the timeline will be, but I think it's going to be much sooner than later, given what we see so far. I agree well, with you. It's, cer it's, certainly, it's certainly been catalyzed. I agree with Richard, and I think that this is on the fast track. And as I wrote to you all earlier in the week, I think they're following the MJ-12 uh, script, end of, the, end of time script. And I believe that uh, this whole thing was staged at, uh, in Washington and that questions that they wanted to answer were fed to the senators or the congressmen, like Rohrabacher asking about Mars. I think that uh, there's, there's a um, cooperation going on between NASA and the Senate and the Congress and saying, look, these are the questions you need to ask us for us to give you the well, they're always, they always do. Yeah, that's yeah. not unsurprising uh, at all. I totally agree. This is part of a set piece, but I wonder about what's pacing the, the rate of change, the curve. And I've had two ideas. One was the physics. But the more I'm looking at this whole AI thing, I think they've waited until they had the proper excuse to say, well, until we develop these tools through free enterprise, we didn't have the ability to see what's there and everybody in NASA who's been hiding everything gets off scot-free, and God bless them. Uh, important point from the comparison between ruins elsewhere and the alien thing, which is what your conference was basically about. Uh, the aliens didn't build those ruins. It was Earth. And that's a story they don't want to open up. That's their can of worms. Yeah, but that comes inevitably. You can't be a little bit pregnant. How, do you, how does it become inevitable that there's megalithic structures all over Mars, which can be easily related to stuff here and cultures here and that we're here? Because and if they don't point them out, and we're coming up at the top of the hour, we will, you included. Hmm. Okay. Guys? Whatever. We have run out of runway. I want to thank my guests this morning. Too numerous to mention. Go to the other side of midnight.com. There's also all kinds of images. If you want to see Ron's careful selection of really cool images of artifacts, they're there. All Robert's links, um, my links. Again, these are archived shows because it's too much to cram into just three hours. Next week, I've got some surprises for you. We're redoing Jonathan for Saturday. Sunday may be a major, major surprise, so stay tuned. And until then, same time, same bat channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. <laughs>